The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit voicesofwrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. everybody to wrestling omakase it is episode number 186 uh this week i am very pleased to be joined by a returning guest hello jojo hello john sorry there about the little delay we're uh, <laughs> working working through some uh some technical issues here but uh yeah i'm happy to be back thanks for inviting me yeah so we're here to do actually you volunteered i think but yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> i invited you for the or no I think you, you put the, you know, you put yeah. the, the general invitation, <laughs> and I, I raised my hand. There you go. Um, so thanks for inviting us. <laughs> but yes, welcome back. Uh, we're here to talk about two shows: the New Japan World Tag League and Best of Super Junior Final from this past Friday, uh, December 11th, and the DDT Do uh, Night Seven, the final block night from Saturday 1212. Uh, pretty much wrapping up our coverage. Of these, of uh, all three tournaments, you know, the, there's still the Do Finals, but that that's not for another couple of weeks on the 27th. So I guess that will finally wrap things up completely, and that will probably be covered on the Patreon. Uh, but what have you been up to, JoJo? Before we get into all that, probably nothing. I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> mostly nothing. Uh, you know, a lot of exercise, a lot of work, um, but not much in terms of uh, you know hobby type stuff i mean with baseball season over and wrestling like kind of back you know things are are pretty quiet around here but yeah you know just uh enjoying fall colors i guess i would say yeah i haven't even really gone outside my house much at all so you probably did more than me i mean not that things are great in japan right now but every time i see these headlines i'm like oh tokyo is in a a big record 800 cases i'm like okay (laughs) <laughs> right like... yeah i mean the thing is that like in general people are just going about their lives yeah uh just with a mask on 
Right. Um, but I'm not. You know, I my favorite thing about living here is going to restaurants, and I'm just not doing that uh, unless I can do takeout, which kind of sucks. But you know, I do get outside every day and, and go running. Um, I have a nice gym in my building, so I take advantage of that. But uh, yeah, other than that, just you know, spending a lot of time at home. Yeah, I mean, really, I I'm trying to remember the last time I went out. It's probably... Are we talking like the last time you stepped foot outside? Yes, other than my balcony. Okay. <laughs> other than okay. my... I go on my balcony. Like the last time I left my apartment... <laughs> it's probably like two and a half weeks ago. Wow. Because I'm trying to think. When we, when we, <laughs> we had to go to the... Because we get all our groceries and stuff delivered. Okay. So that's we, not an option here. Yeah, we had to go... We had to go to the store to get like a a chicken because they didn't have it. The like a full roaster for Thanksgiving. That's what we eat instead of turkey because neither of us like turkey. But uh, it was yeah, that was like Wednesday the twenty fifth. So I really November twenty fifth. So yeah, I I can't think of anything else I've left my house for because uh, you know I work at home obviously thank God uh, and yeah I don't know it's just like you know before November before like. Yeah, like, late October is the last time I really, like, went out-out, where, like, I went to see my dad in New Jersey. But now, um, you know, cases have gotten so high that, you know, I don't even feel comfortable going visiting him and, like, you know, maybe a couple friends in New Jersey like I did, you know, yeah. this month. So. so I haven't seen anybody other than my wife in a long, long time. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we we go out for a walk in the morning, and then, like I said, you know, I, I'm usually either running outside or going to the gym every day. So that's, uh, but I do try to go to the gym when I'm basically the only person there. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I def, like, I wasn't seeing a ton of people to be clear, it was like, <laughs> like just my dad and like one yeah, friend yeah, yeah. usually, but, but yeah, I mean, it, before that felt a little safer before November and now it's like, it's back to being a total shit show. So I basically told my dad, I'll see you in February, probably <laughs> when this right. thing peaks again. And thankfully, he is a, uh, you know, he's a he's a news watcher and not like a crazy Republican or anything. So I mean, he's a, you know, he's a Democrat actually, but not a, not a crazy COVID denier, I guess. And right. he is, you know, he's basically like, yeah, that's that's probably for the best, and you shouldn't be riding New, New Jersey Transit right now anyway. So, because the only yeah. way to get there. Two things. Uh, first of all, one thing you probably weren't aware of about Japan that you will like, since you don't like turkey, is that it's really fucking hard to get turkey. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a that was a thing. We did it. Uh, you did get turkey though. We did get turkey. We did get turkey. So they don't do, they don't do they don't copy us for American Thanksgiving like we like to do for Christmas then. Uh no no they don't. I mean so you can get it uh at some restaurants but obviously that's not an option but turkeys just don't really uh, exist in the wild here as far as i know so they're all imported and then you know the the market for uh people that want that type of meal on thanksgiving is pretty small so basically as far as i can tell there's two grocery stores that have it um so <laughs> yeah. yeah wow what was the other thing um and the other thing is that like yeah trains here are like i said pretty much back to normal just everybody's in a mask but you know people aren't altering their routines at all really yeah. um so that's been a no-go for me yeah 
I mean, I saw like an estimate that said, you know, in large part, I mean, based on the speed of vaccinations, but also in large part because of how many more goddamn infections America's had than Japan. I mean, Japan Times was quoting like this expert who said, or I think like this panel of experts who said America could be, quote, back to normal by April of 2021. And their estimate for Japan was like February or March 2022. Yeah. Because I guess yeah. it'll take that long to vaccinate everybody when it, it, they don't have this giant level of, uh, you know, infections like America has, obviously. So, yeah. But, yeah we will know. see. I mean, I'm I'm I want I really want to go in December next year, but like, you know, if they tell me I have to wear a mask, not not really a big deal. Been doing that all this time anyway. Yeah, yeah. I think that's pretty mm-hmm. much going to happen. The other thing is that you know we have the well, we tentatively have the Olympics next summer. Yeah. Um, which will play into I think the vaccination rates here. I actually have a ticket for the Olympics still, uh, so we'll see if that happens, but. Hopefully you, that will. Have you heard anything about whether or not you'll be able to get vaccinated as a foreign national living over there? Yes, you can. That's okay. that's definitely part of the plan. It's basically going to be handled at like the well in Tokyo at least at like the district, the coup level. Mm. Um, but yeah, and they're saying that all residents are getting it for free. Um, so including foreign residents, yeah, that's cool. Yep, I can't imagine America doing that, but who knows? I guess. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I have no idea what the plans are here. They, you know, everything I see is like estimated, maybe. It's like okay, so there's no plan. That's good. It's like yeah, like, like everything else in this country, I guess. But uh, not that this is the Bash America Hour, although I do love to bash America. But we're here to talk about professional wrestling, uh, which is, of course the uh, whole point of the show. I don't know where I was going with that. But yes, we're here to talk about two shows. I already mentioned that. New Japan DET. Uh, of course, we've been covering all three of these tournaments on the Omakase Patreon. So if you're not signed up for that, uh, we've actually gotten a whole bunch of new signups in the last few days. So thank you if you have signed up recently and you're listening to this. Uh, but we've wrapped up you know, our coverage here, basically. If you want to go back and listen to anything from all three tournaments, every single night covered uh, at patreon.com slash wrestling omakase uh it's only five dollars to sign up so you get access to everything we've ever done so all three of these tournaments the g1 also the g1 the champion carnival the n1 uh all the other series we've done every single okada tanahashi match in order every single naito ishii match in order those are complete and ready for you to listen um we just started a brand new series which is covering every single tokyo dome main event in order uh that's our new one match series now we're going to do this for all of December and January. We just started this past week with the first two episodes uh, on the very first Tokyo Dome show, Tokyo Dome show at New Japan, uh, where we talked a lot about the Soviet Union and, like, you know, the state of uh, the Soviet Union at the time, because Inoki's, it was Antonio Inoki against this big Georgian uh, judoka, which that match was actually awesome. I could not believe how great that was. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we talked all about the match and also, you know, everything else leading up to it. And then the second one we did, with the episode I really like loved recording, was on the UWF U Cosmos show, which was the second Tokyo Dome show uh, from later in '89, in November '89. Uh, that was an awesome show to record. We I went over like um, the crazy history of the UWF. If you don't know that story, it's a great story. I'm not going to repeat it here. You have to go subscribe. But you know the all the different UWFs that there were, not even just the uh, one we're talking about here. 
um, you know, the New Japan, All Japan, 80s, you know, feud, and the TV executive who was secretly behind that, and, you know, the Inoki biotech scandal, and how that, uh, you know, resulted in, you know, losing Ricky Choshu, and also the UWF guys leaving and, you know, forming that promotion for the first time, and then them coming back, and, uh, you know, leaving again. So we went through the whole timeline, and then we also talked about the insane three-way UWF split, and, like, how it just, like, the incredible directions this thing went in to form all these different companies that also went on to form more companies. I honestly forgot some of it before I I was doing the research for the episode. I totally forgot that Battle Arts can be traced directly to one of these, which I had no idea. Uh, so there's, there's so much stuff in that episode. Um, but, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And the actual match, the, the we're covering Akira Maeda and Willie Wilhelm is like under 10 minutes and then also clipped for some reason. Because the only thing that exists is this VHS release they put out. It didn't air on TV anywhere. And they felt the need to clip a under 10 minute two round match for some reason. But we still cover, I mean I, I covered the match. It's just there's almost no footage to cover. But, you know, we ended up talking much more about, uh, you know, the all the background and incredible stories around the UWF. Because it is really, really interesting stuff. Uh, but yeah, we're just getting started. We're going to be going through, uh, you know, all the SWS stuff, the uh, famous uh, Money Puro eyeglass company, funded company. Uh, we'll have a bunch of Hulk Hogan appearances, because I forgot how many main events Hulk Hogan worked in the early days of the Tokyo Dome, uh, until I was going through it. I mean, there's some crazy stuff coming up. So, you know, five bucks gets you all that. Uh, like I said, we'll be doing it through January. We'll prop. I think based on my calculations, we'll get up to 1995 before we stop, and then you know I'll resume this next year around dome season. Is my general idea. So just keep bringing this, uh, keep bringing this back every year till we get through them. But it should be a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, that's the Tokyo Dome series. It's at Patreon.com/slash Wrestling Omakase. To be clear, every dome main event, not just New Japan, not just one four. That's what we're doing. So you know that'll be five bucks. Like I said, the next one is a New Japan main event. We'll be doing this week. Uh, it is Chono and Hashimoto against Antonio Inoki and uh, Yukio's dad, <laughs> Seiji Sakaguchi. So that'll be covered on the next one match episode on the Patreon. And I think the one after, yeah, the one after that is the Summit. So that's Hulk Hogan versus Stan Hansen. So that match is pretty crazy. We've never seen it. So that'll be uh, that'll be fun to talk about. But yeah, that's on the Patreon. So. Uh, in the meantime, here on the free episode, we're here to talk about two shows. So let's get started here with the New Japan World Tag League 2020 and Best of Super Junior 27 final. Uh, I thought this was a great show. Uh, that's pretty much where I'm, I'm at with the overall show. Like, I obviously, there's only one match that I would call outstanding, but I thought like they did a lot of really cool angles on this show to really get uh, me excited for the Wrestle Kingdom undercards. Like, I thought they really... You could really see the cards start to take shape here. And I liked a lot of the angles they did, so. Yeah, that was basically, you know, my take on it, too. They used the undercard very well. Pretty much every match had some meaningful implication for Wrestle Kingdom, um, which is a great use of the show. And then, obviously, as a bonus, you got, you know, two kind of standalone matches that, that do relate to, to Wrestle Kingdom, but obviously are the cap of this tour. Uh, and one of which was an amazing match. So, yeah, good show. Great show, actually. Yeah, so really, I think, uh, you know, for some of the negativity that, that's been surrounding this company in the late summer to fall, I think some of that's starting to break a little bit. 
in some circles. Maybe some people just haven't seen it and aren't, you know, um, are still kind of down on it. But, I mean, the, the thing I'm still down on, I guess, going into the Dome, which I talked a lot about in the written preview for this show that I did on VoicesWrestling.com, uh, was the the Double Dome booking. I still don't like the Double Dome booking. Uh, you know, I still don't think the way, I should say the Double Dome title booking, you know, I just still don't think it made a lot of sense. But I do like what they're doing in a vacuum with the Naito Ibushi, you know, feud with like Naito coming off like kind of the super confident champion and Ibushi basically, you know, saying, you know, asking if he's really taking it, taking it seriously. That's a good build for the two of them. It just feels like, I mean, Jay White's not even here. So it feels like he is off on his own goddamn world. And like, it, like it doesn't feel like there's any build at all to, uh, oh yeah, the winner has to fight Jay White. So, if I'm gonna point out a negative, I think that's the major negative. But I don't know yeah, you... I mean, in terms of the storylines, I think uh, I think they're on the right path. I don't really have any criticisms there. I do have a couple that I'll get into when we start talking about some matches that are kind of. I think symptoms of their overall direction right now and kind of uh, hamper my overall enjoyment of, of New Japan at the moment, even though there are obviously some pretty bright spots. That's fair. Uh, so the opener here was Bad Luck Fale, Chase Owens, and Taiji Ishimori defeating the team of Toriano, Sho, and Robbie Eagles. Chase pinning Eagles in 553 with the grenade launcher. Uh, so the Bullet Club guys attack for the bell, of course. As you'd expect. Um, Yano, <laughs> I don't know. His whole method of normal method of wrestling is to try and trick and outsmart people. And he always tries to slam Fale. I mean, you might be tempted to say it's because they're setting up the stupid body slam match. Which, that wouldn't be a good excuse anyway. But I've actually seen him try to slam Fale in plenty of other matches too. And it's like, buddy, your whole thing is usually trying to outsmart people. Why are you just trying to slam this giant man? Doesn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, but I don't know. He... he- He's, 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 uh, you know, one of his key characteristics is that he often bites off more than he can chew. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure if you saw his recent YouTube video where he lined up 15 Yoshinoya bowls, uh, to try to eat them all in one sitting and he got through three. Um, so I think that's, that's part of his character too, is that he, 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 uh, his eyes are bigger than his stomach. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, you know, I guess that does make sense, but yeah, I don't know. Like it just, it came off like what the hell. Uh, but yeah, I did like that Yano hit, hit him with the turnbuckle pad when Fale just no sold it. That was pretty funny, but probably the highlight of the match if anything. Um, but yeah, you know, they hit the grenade launcher on Eagles for the pin. Uh, this was all right. I didn't think it was terrible or anything. It's nothing you would ever regret missing though. I would go like, I don't know, two and three quarters. Like the Fale Yano stuff at the start was special. Or special. It was funny. <laughs> well, he honest over the start was funny. And there was some decent action afterward, but nothing special. So Yeah, not not by any means something that you need to go out of your way to watch. Uh I mean it, it was nice they kept it short, I guess. <laughs> I mean to keep it under six minutes. Yeah. Uh afterwards Yano tried to slam Fale yet again, only to get slammed by Fale for the fifth time in this match, I think, or you know, after the match too. And then Chase hands Fale the KOPW trophy. He smashes it for a second time. This time on purpose. Because if you watch that, uh, the match where Tonga Lois smashed it 
after the in the World Tag League the first time, he did not mean to smash that trophy. Like you could see the way he was walking past it so casually, and the camera was not even on him. And he like he just kind of like swatted at it. I think thinking he was just gonna knock it over, you know, to be a little bit of a dick heel, and the thing just like exploded. So he did not mean to do that. Whereas this time, he obviously probably meant to to kill the thing here. Uh, yeah. Going back to his YouTube channel, Yano also has a video where he repairs the thing by hand. <laughs> um, so I think, again, like trying to play a little bit into that, this character that he's building on his YouTube channel, um, the fans reacted to this. Like, holy shit. Yeah, they were really so hard to fix this thing. They were really <laughs> into it. Yeah. They're really into the It trophy. was, um, what was the, uh, there was an angle that they ran with the IC title. Or something where, like, Naito was just, like, brutalizing these belts. And then someone repaired it. Was it Tanahashi? He repaired the belt. And then, uh, you know, Naito threw it on the floor again. And that got a big reaction. That was a couple years ago at this point. Yeah. But that type of thing where, like, you spend your your personal time trying to fix, like, your trophy or your belt. And then, the you know, your opposition just kind of shits on it. It always <laughs> seems to get a big reaction in New Japan. Yeah. Um, the KOPW trophy, boy, has turned out to be a whole lot of nothing. It's I, I actually forget it exists a lot of the times until, like, when I started writing the preview for this show, I was like, wait a second, Yano has this fucking trophy. Maybe they'll set something up for it. But it feels like such a non-entity. Um, my personal theory on this is I, I don't have inside info on this, but this is just how I read it. I This is what I've read on it. I think they had way bigger plans for it originally. They actually wore some rumors about that early on, floating around in, like, dark Twitter, that this thing was going to be a big, big deal. Uh, which made it all the more surprising when Yano won it. So I think they did have those big plans for it originally. Japanese fans fucking hated it. And I've seen that. I've seen some of the tweets and stuff. Like, I saw one Japanese fan uh, compare it to the Ultimate Royale. I think it was called. Remember the the multi man match that Ron Waterman won? That was like a complete disaster during the Inoki era. Mm. Which is like that's like comparing that's like a WWE fan comparing something to like Katie Vick. Like I think it's about the same. Like that thing is remembered as like one of the biggest disasters in New Japan history. So to compare, right. it's not, a, not a fond <laughs> not a, nostalgia or anything. Exactly. So, like, I remember seeing a fan compared to that, and I've heard from other people who you know follow the Japanese fans even more than I do that like they complained about when this when this trophy was announced, like when Okada just announced the rules and stuff. They complained about this in like every form of social media and uh, which they call SNS. And, like, you know, every other, like, online place you can imagine. Like, apparently there was, like, even, like, I don't know, people wrote them emails and stuff. So, I think they saw this incredible backlash. And they changed the original plans to Yano winning it and making it a comedy title. I do not think that was supposed to happen originally. And I think they're going to quietly get rid of it. That's my... that's my. Yeah, I'd totally be in favor of getting rid of it. Yeah. I mean, it means if they keep it around as a Yano comedy title, I guess it's really no big deal. But I don't know. I definitely think this was a change of plans. I can't see this being the original plan. Okada announcing it and then having it be this Yano comedy belt or comedy trophy. Yeah. yeah. But anyway. Um, let's see here. The ma- second match uh, was Will Ospreay, Great Okan, and Jeff Cobb, the Empire, defeating Kazuchika Okada, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Toa Hanare. Cobb pinning Hanare in 10.45 with the Tour of the Islands. Uh, first things first, we have a new theme song here. 
I didn't see anything. Did you see if there was a new song for Osprey or a new song for the Empire? They don't really do that many stable themes. So it wouldn't surprise me if it's just a new Osprey song. He desperately needs one. So, I don't know. I did not see anything specifically explaining it, no. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I assume it's probably a new Osprey song. Because, like, Elevate is a really bad heel theme song. <laughs> I mean... Yeah. I mean, it worked for Naito ha- keeping his Babyface theme song when he turned, but... I mean, I, I, I don't know. That that song's really bad for me, for a heel. Uh, so who knows? It could be a stable song. could be a... It didn't really make much of an impression on me either way, though, the theme song. I don't know about you. But... Yeah, me neither. Nothing, nothing uh, not super memorable. Um, it was just kind of like this hard guitar riff, and, like, there were lyrics I couldn't even make out. I don't know. Not um, like my uh, most fondly remembered recent new New Japan, new Japan theme, which was Moxley's theme. Oh yeah, that I was thought pretty... the first time that played, it, you know, it had an impact. What? Whereas you... this did not have the same. I, I really think Evil's theme is pretty great. The new heel theme. Yeah, Evil's is good too. Yeah, that was a that's probably the best part of the act, honestly. Uh, but yeah, the the theme song, like I said, plays them out. Okan has the full gold robe and the question mark over his face. We haven't seen that on the tag league tour, and I was really scared that he was going to have the fucking parachute pants back. But thankfully, he was still wearing the short tights under them. So I think that's like, that's like the, uh, you know, the best combination I think because it's great entrance gear. But those, those fucking like poofy parachute pants he was wearing, the yellow parachute pants before that before the tag league tour, I thought looked too goofy. So the yeah, short, short one tights. thing I enjoy about Oka right now is that like you can tell that he he has some pretty good ideas, but he's working through them. Yeah, so you kind of see this thing developing in front of us, which. Which is really cool to me. Yeah, I talked about that repeatedly on the World Tag League audio. It's like he you could see him just working in more and more stuff throughout the tag league and getting more and more comfortable. And like it was one of the big highlights of the tag league for me was he was clearly just like I don't know, he was clearly really like um putting it all together. So he did a he did a great job. Um, you know, just especially just adding in like more and more of his legitimate judo background and you know, the other grappling arts that he does. I think he's like a Sambo guy, too. So, you know, you, you can see him working more and more of that into his into his move set and just looks more and more comfortable now. So, but, um, but yeah, so Tanahashi and Hanare also got their own little separate entrances from Okada. That was a little interesting, I guess. I don't really know what that meant. Uh, I guess besides we want Tanahashi to get his entrance at the Budokan, probably. But... Uh, so Tanahashi and Okan, they have a very interesting exchange where Okan hits the Mongolian chops, Tanahashi blocks the last one, hits a slap to the face, but then Okan gets this awesome leg capture instead, like straight into a leg hold, and then like assaults his leg repeatedly after that. That was so great. Yeah, that's that Sambo that you're talking about, right? Yeah. It almost reminded me of like Volkan. I mean, it was a great leg capture. I don't yeah. know, like, I, there was a, I, I put out another, like, I'm probably getting insufferable on Okan, but I really think, like, the people who say he's bad at this point are, like, so out to lunch, and I put out some tweet about it um, a couple days ago, and somebody, I can't remember who it was, I think it was one of the guys from that Q and Tear podcast, he quote tweeted and just said, like, don't be on the wrong side of history, which is, that's honestly what I think now when it comes to Okan, like, I just think the people who are still insisting he's bad or the gimmick will never work or whatever. It's like, like, like what is bad about him at this point? Like, I don't, I don't really know. But Yeah. I mean, one thing, so one thing that I think is a little bit of a disconnect between, 
the perception here in Japan and the Western perception of uh, just gimmicks in general is that, you know, it's not like he's playing a character necessarily, right? He's just trying to develop his own personal style. Obviously, there's, you know, some uh, exaggerated uh, things about it, but it's not like he was given this, like, you're going to play this uh, hopping ghost <laughs> Mongolian, you know, shoot fighter. Like, this is just him, like we said, putting together ideas. So it's not like you can give him a pass-fail evaluation on it. He's going to be good. He's just working through it. So is it, uh, to say that it's not going to work out is just completely off base. The gimmick was his idea, too, wasn't it? Because what I read that. So that's another thing that I've heard is that they're not, in New Japan, they're not really given gimmicks. They're just expected to come up with ideas for themselves. So, right. like, people gave Kawato a hard time about, you know, his costume and, uh, you know, his nickname and all that stuff. But, like, that's coming from the wrestler. It's not like he's given given it by some creative department. Right, so. Gato and, like, fucking uh, whoever else is not sitting there like, uh, <laughs> we're going to give him blue hair as a fucking drip. Because yeah. that's how I see people describe it. It's like, that's really not how these gimmicks that's work. That's not how it works. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so to say that this gimmick was given to him and it's failing, it's just, it's just a, the wrong context. It's the wrong context. And it's like, I don't even get where it's based in reality at this point because... The right. gimmick and seems to be it seems to be getting over. I mean, yeah, every time sure. he does the Mongolian chops, the people clap extra loud. So I'm like, yeah. I, that'd be a weird reaction to give if you hate it. So I don't, I don't know. I just like one of these things where Okan, like I had a I had a debate with somebody in some Discord where, and I I just like when he said something like Okan doesn't look, doesn't look like a star, like that to me is just so wrong that I don't even really know. It's not a great debate point to me. Like I don't feel like how I. I don't really know how I should debate it because it's like he so clearly does come off like a star to me and so clearly does have this charisma that just I don't really get it. Like I don't see how you can not to skip ahead too much, but this postman stuff where he's given that speech to the Budokan with no fucking microphone, just screaming it out. Like I don't know how you watch that and go like, uh, oh, this guy doesn't have it. Like I just I don't get it, honestly. But it's one of the bigger disconnects for me in wrestling discourse right now. Like I don't get the people who insist he's not working or is too goofy or whatever the fuck. So, uh, anyway, so we get this, uh, cool missile drop kick, uh, double backdrop suplex combo to Tanahashi, uh, from the empire team. Osprey, of course, was the one who hit the drop kick. It, I, I said cool, but it was a little slow. Actually, one of those spots, they probably need to work the kinks out of, but I think it'll look, I think it has a potential to look really cool eventually, but they do probably need to work on it. Uh, Cobb and Hanari, they have a pretty fun exchange. Hanari does his best to hang with the hatchet, as Cobb is now known. Uh, he survives his power offense and eventually stuns him with a spin kick, and that leads up to a big Samoan drop for a two count. Uh, and then Okan really gets to show off his technical side here. He gets another leg takedown on Tanahashi that looks beautiful, and that takes Tanahashi out of it uh, towards the end, which sets up Cobb to hit the tour of the islands on Hanari for the pin. Uh, I thought this was a very enjoyable six-fan tag. You know, I thought everybody worked well together, set up some really nice sequences. I went three and a half stars. I liked this quite a bit. Wow, yeah. I uh, I enjoyed it. I, I didn't rate it that high. Um, but I think it was well worked. Um, and I think it ultimately, you know, served its main purpose, which was setting up stuff for Wrestle Kingdom. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, these guys are... 
not only is Oka kind of developing into who he's going to become, but also the Empire as a group um, is still, you know, it's still a work in progress. So definitely a positive sign to, to cap off this tour. Yeah, for sure. Uh, afterwards, we get the uh, Okada Osprey go face to face. Okada grabs Osprey, Osprey by the throat, but Jeff Cobb grabs Okada from behind, holds him for the Oscutter. That was pretty good. I mean, I haven't loved the Okada Osprey build so far, but that was a good little spot with like Osprey's big bully saving him from Okada. Yeah, there's little flashes where you can tell like these guys are holding back; they don't want to give away too much for what they have planned for the dome, but. Um, my expectations for that match are pretty high. Uh, then Okan brings Tanahashi into the ring. Cobb and Osprey hold him for Okan to repeatedly hit in the leg with a chair. Uh, so there's a setup for Okan versus Tanahashi at the Dome. They both also did challenge after the match. And then they did. They all pose together. Uh, Okan goes through his whole speech. And yeah, the Empire just comes off like a star act as a trio. Like you, I think like you were saying earlier. Uh, just a very, very good post-match here. Um, and they just have a totally different vibe to them from the other heel units. I mean, you know, Suzuki Goon at this point are like, you know, more and more. Suzuki Goon are so popular that it's almost kind of ridiculous to keep them as a heel unit. They're kind of doing that, but I mean, they're also like Dangerous Tech has also worked babyface in half their matches during the um, during the tag league. So I think there might be some signs that they might be going to like more of a neutral position. And then Bullet Club are obviously just all about the bullshit and all about cheating and run-ins and interference. And so far, Empire is, you know, a much more different unit. They're just very serious. They are, you know, more like, I don't know, like lawful evil versus chaotic evil. Or chaotic evil. So it's just very, very different vibe. All about the bullshit has the ring of an excellent t-shirt for Bullet Club. So you should, you should, <laughs> you should try to pitch that to somebody. All about the bullshit. That is Bullet Club's, <laughs> Bullet Club's motto. But yeah. yeah, the Empire is much more just like, just much more straightforward. So but I don't know if you feel any differently about that. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm glad that, they're, that they have Oka and Cobb now just because Osprey like is annoying to me <laughs> when he's given too much FaceTime, which is the point, right? Like, yeah, he's supposed to be annoying, which accomplishes something. But I don't watch wrestling to be annoyed, right? So <laughs> uh, it, it ends up happening anyway. But uh, yeah, no, I think they're headed in the right direction. For sure. Yeah, yeah, Cobb, Cobb and Ocon have really like they they've really hit for me like a like a really strong presentation. There's a great little moment that was it was very subtle at the end, but like when. You know, Yoda Suji, I guess, you know, was coming in to try to help Tanahashi, and Cobb made a little motion like, "Be my guest, like go ahead, help him." Like that was yeah. really that was really funny to me. I think that really summed up the the vibe they're going for. They're like they're almost like gentleman heels or something. So it's very, it is very, uh, it's a very different vibe than like I said we get from Bullet Club or for uh, you know, like on the like I know Joel Abraham from Super J Cast was working on the alignment chart, and you know he put. Like, Suzuki Goon is, is, like, lawful neutral. Or, no, chaotic neutral. And, you know, like, the D&D style alignment chart. And, you know, Suzuki Goon is chaotic neutral. Uh, Empire is lawful evil. And Bullet Club is, uh, you know, chaotic evil. Which, that kind of makes sense, I guess. But, you know, LIJ, I guess, would be chaotic good at this point. And, I don't get the reference. Yeah. it's a, I, don't, I don't play D&D, but I've seen, these, I've seen these charts before, so. But, yeah. Uh, anyway. If you want to go like a simple left to right scale, like where left is face and right is heel, 
you know, I would put Empire at this point, like, to the right of Suzuki Goon, but still, like, to the left of Bullet Club. I think that is probably where they fit in right now. Uh, but yeah, it's just it's really fun just to have a new unit. And I mean, I think New Japan's needed this for years, honestly, and it really does make things feel more fresh in general. So, uh, yeah, I wonder what they're going to do with you know the juniors. Are they going to add a junior? And it seemed like maybe they were going to get Eagles at some point, but we'll see. Yeah, uh, I I kind of wonder if Yo isn't going to come back and join them. That's kind of that seems because I I think he should be back. Sometime in early 2021, based on the timeline. So mm, I, kinda... I remember thinking it would be like right around Super Juniors next year when it uh, originally happened. I could have sworn it was going to be March, February or March, but you could be right. That would be more like May. So yeah, you think yeah. they would? You think they would need one before that? But I don't know. If it's February or March, they could probably hold out. But I don't know. I just have a like in my head. I picture Yo coming back. Like to me, there's there's zero point. To be bringing Rapunky 3K back because I think they were already on their last run yeah, before they're this. past that now. Yeah, yeah. so Show is definitely going to be a junior singles guy, and you know Yo will come back. I think turn on him, you know maybe even on the return I'll turn turn on him, and then you know that'll be the big that'll start the big generational rivalry. So you know it should be a lot of fun. Uh, the one thing I want to bury though it was in the post match promos where Okada, uh, you know, had to fucking. Uh, bring up the IWGV title and basically said, you know, oh, the people who are complaining about the current title picture, it's up to me to, uh, you know, after I beat Osprey to come back and make it right. It's like, buddy, your fucking matches since the summer have fucking sucked. Uh, I would rather watch a million Naito Evil matches before I watch another one of your goddamn money clip matches. You were in the worst year of the entire year in New Japan with Yujiro. Granted, it's Yujiro, but, like, I wouldn't be talking if I was you. Like, that was my reaction. It's like, wow, I really hate this character. And this promo really reminded me of why I hate this character so much. It's like you're unreasonably confident talking down to the heavyweight title picture when your year fucking sucked. <laughs> so that was my uh, that is my rebuttal, sir. Yeah, not much I can add to that. I mean, you definitely, uh, you you have the investment there, which is, I guess, one of the bigger picture points that I wanted to to, to talk about so I think this is a good time because you are obviously invested in it is that I just don't feel invested in any of the particular programs while I think they're all good I'm not like attached to any of them which I feel like you know does kind of hamper my overall enjoyment of the company but I, that's not really a criticism of what they're doing because I, I think I'm in the minority well there are definitely other people who are like completely checked out now but I don't know at the yeah. way, at the I don't think you're totally in the minority, but it depends on, you know, some people Some people are more into it than others, that is for sure. But yeah, I just wanted to bring that up for the Okada thing, because that promo really pissed me off. So I was uh, was not happy with him after that one. Because it's also like, we, we know that you're going to be back in the title picture soon, buddy. We know this is like the absolute maximum amount of time they can keep you out of the title picture. But Yeah, you know, who is he speaking to? Just his diehards, if they exist, I guess? I, I guess so. I mean, I guess he's speaking to people who have tuned out. He's basically saying he thinks people have tuned out from the company, which maybe they have. There is some little signs that there are some Japanese fans that maybe aren't paying close attention to it right now. They lost some Twitter followers on the Japanese account, like although they lost the followers right after Power Struggle, so that that speaks more to them being mad about the Jay White finish beating Abushi and then the 
the Double Dome, like, booking. Because they, they were, like, mm. fans... Fans on Twitter, Japanese fans, were really mad about the, the Double Dome booking. And specifically, they were complaining a lot about Naito Ibushi being night one and White getting the winner. Like, there were a lot of complaints about that. So, you know, they did not like that booking at all. And there was, like, a major backlash. So I wouldn't really call that... That could have been what Okada was referring to. I, but he's also buried... Like the Okada, like the Naito evil stuff, and like the idea of like the, I think he called it like the Lij riot or something, or the Lij revolt. And he, he said, you know, did you do you find this interesting? I don't find this interesting. Which I'm sure there he he. It seems to me like he's speaking for a lot of Western fans more than Japanese fans. But anyway, so I don't know who he's talking to. Uh, it could have been any of that, or what he's speaking to. I guess I should say. But uh, you know, I'm sure not in a hurry to see, especially. Uh, fucking money clip Okada back in the main events anytime soon. So you can you can have fun chilling with Will Ospreay at Wrestle Kingdom. Gonna enjoy every day where he's now back in the uh, IWGP Heavyweight Title scene. But we all know you're gonna be back there eventually, buddy. It's not a you don't have to fucking tell us. Uh, <laughs> match three was Shingo Takagi and Sonata beating Evil and Yujiro in a time not given here on the New Japan website. Thank you guys. Uh, Shingo pinned Yujiro with the Last of the Dragon. I don't think it was long. Though. I think it was like ten minutes. The Japanese be... website has uh, four minutes fifty eight seconds. It was that fast, really? Wow. Well, there you go. Uh, so Shingo and Yujiro were fighting on the ring to start. Evil and Sonata were fighting on the outside. Uh, Dick Togo choked him with the spoilers choker. Uh, Sonata needs to ask Yoshihashi. For some tips on how to break out of it by himself, I guess. Because, like, they they buried that spoilers choker so bad during the tag league. With, like, like I said, I joke with Yoshihashi. But, like, Yoshihashi broke out of it by himself. Like, tons of people broke out of that fucking thing without without any help. And it's, like, to me now, it makes almost makes anybody else who gets caught in it look bad. Because it's, like, everybody was breaking out of it all tag league long. Uh, but, yeah, Shingo comes out to save. Then gets double teamed by Evil and Yujiro and sent back to the ring. And then Shingo really takes the Yujiro in the ring with his usual offense. Puts him away without in real trouble. Uh, not much of the match. I went two and three quarters again. Just a Shingo squash. I mean, watching him beat the shit out of Yujiro was fun. I didn't even realize it was that short, though. That's kind of crazy. But, you know. Yeah, not nothing huge, uh, you know, stood out to me other than the Sonata Evil stuff that they set up. Yeah, so the Sonata Evil angle, uh, you know, was the... The big thing here that uh, caused some controversy, uh, I guess, on Twitter, where the Voices of Wrestling account, uh, quote, tweeted it with, like, three yawns and people got mad. Um, the angle was awesome, I thought. Like, you know, Sonata's punches were very bad. I, w- I will say that. Sonata's punches were quite bad. But, like, the way he was, like, tossing the young lions out when they tried to stop him, and he pushes Shingo down... And, like, goes after Evil some more in the Iowai. That got, like, this huge, like, surprise reaction from the crowd. You know, huge for the COVID era, I guess I should say. And, you know, they, they like, really were reacting to this. And they were really into it. And then Dick Togo tries to get involved. Sonata knocks him down without much effort. And then he and Evil just keep trading blows as they fight to the back. I thought that was a great angle. Like, even if you can't stand either guy, which I know a lot of Western fans can't stand either guy. And, you know, I guess what Rich from VOW was, quote, tweeting that with the yawns, he was just trying to say he thought the the match is still going to be boring for Wrestle Kingdom, uh, not saying anything about the angle. But the angle was awesome. Like, the angle, just seeing Sonata show some fire for once and, you know, really go after evil 
And I, I just thought that that was a way hotter angle than I was expecting for this match. Um, yeah, I mean, so out of character for Sonata. Um, and that's why I think it got the reaction. So um, good. it was good to me. Uh, I'm not really look. I can't really see myself looking forward to anything evil does, really. So can't say I'm excited there, but I thought the angle was good. I mean, if you're going to have a match, the match was happening no matter what. They might as well have a cool angle. That's how I look at it. But I am a little more excited for Sonata Evil, I guess. But I do generally like both guys. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's not like, even then, it's not like I'm fucking counting down the days or anything. But I did think it was a good angle. So, you know, can't really ask for much more than that. Uh, and, they, you know, they, they did make the challenge more official backstage. Uh, the other angle, too, was Jeff Cobb showing up out of nowhere to confront Shingo. Uh, the two of them went face-to-face. The crowd seemed pretty into it. And then, you know, Cobb, of course, had pinned Shingo during the tag league on the last block night, I believe. And then Cobb picked up the Never Belt and handed it to Shingo. Uh, Shingo, so Cobb, like, holds onto the belt. Shingo, for some reason, does this really funny laugh. I don't know what he was, he was like, I can't even do it, but it was, like, very exaggerated, like, ha, ha, ha. Like, I'm like, what, what are you laughing about? And then, yeah. like, Cobb, like, won't let go of the belt, and then he pulls Shingo in for Tour of the Islands. That was a great spot. So, I love that. I thought what it reminded me of is something we haven't seen from Shingo in so long, is, like, his Dragon Gate heel instincts. Um, you know, because he's kind of playing the middle here in New Japan for the most part. But uh, I thought it was, like, great timing, great heel instincts, really, from Shingo. Um, just the body language and, and the reaction that it got. Yeah. And then Cobb... Pop, poses with the belt over Shingo, shoves it in his face, throws it back to him, and that was it. Uh, so another another strong angle here for another Wrestle Kingdom match. So definitely have to... And that should be a really good match. I'm excited for that one. Definitely. Uh, afterward, we get an announcement that the 2021 anniversary show will be held in Budokan Hall on March 4th. Uh, you know, the announcement really, like, stressed that the 2021 got canceled. But the twenty because remember that was like the that was like one of the very first shows got canceled. Uh, it was supposed so they, to be Naito Hiroma, right? Yeah, it was supposed to be Naito Hiroma, which they've never rescheduled. So, hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I did see some pushback on Twitter from Japanese fans that it's no longer at the venue that they started at, which is Ota, and it's no longer on the date of the anniversary. So again, like maybe the traditional fans pushing back there a little bit, but. I, I, well, I can't, uh, you know, be upset about another Budokan show. So Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a beautiful building. So, I mean, they're clearly taking full advantage of booking it when I assume it's probably cheaper. So, For sure, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there you go. That'll be March 4th. Uh, match number four, Kota Ibushi and Master Wato defeating Tetsuya Naito and Bushi. Ibushi pinning Bushi in 10.06 with the Kamigoe. Um, so we start out here with, so Ibushi was like smiling and clapping for Naito as he came out. Uh, Ibushi comes off sometimes like he's practically Naito's fanboy. It's a very weird relationship the two of them have where they, you know, they'll go from talking shit to each other to be, to like acting like they love each other to of course killing each other. Very weird relationship. Uh, Naito seems to be like trying to get the fans to clap out a Tenzan chant for some reason. He was like more focused on Tenzan than anything else in this match, which was funny. Uh, which they, they they actually have a weird history together, where like Naito always seems to go after Tenzan whenever they're around each other for some reason. I really don't know the, if there's any good reason for that, but he always goes after him like really hard. Yeah, I I think Naito was like 
Tenzon's personal assistant, as they call it, like his uh... yeah, personal young boy as when he was in a dojo. So I think that's where that comes from. So he always loves to go at him. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so he won't, lock, he won't lock up with Ibushi at first, kicks him in the gut, leads straight to an elbow exchange, pretty good elbow exchange. And then Naito finally rakes his eyes, does the the amazing mock Mongolian chop that Naito does, where, like, I don't know, the, the things he does with his arms, like, over and over again, just, like, the faces he makes, always makes me laugh really hard. Uh, it's a great, it's a great mock Mongolian. But... Yeah, I mean, I like it, too. I don't have super strong thoughts on it, but I think, uh, yeah, that, I think that goes into that relationship between Naito and Tenzon, too. Yeah. And then they end up in a pretty quick exchange with Ibushi, or Naito does, obviously, that ends with a big coded dropkick. Fun start. Uh, Wado tags in, looks bigger than Naito. Always funny to remember that Naito's very junior-sized, and it's one of those things yeah. where, like, when people talk about, oh, Hiromu's too small to ever be heavy, but I'm like, they'll, they'll fucking move him up if they want to move him up. It's not gonna... They move Naito up, and Naito is definitely a junior. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he wipes out Naito with kicks. Uh, Naito and Bushi come back with a nice double-team Sunset flip, basement drop kick. Uh, Naito then goes after Ibushi on the outside and whips him in the railing. And then he does more the mock Mongolian chops to Wato. Uh, Wato gets to wipe out Naito with a spinning dive to the floor. Uh, I have to say, Wato with these spinning dives. Uh, okay. Sometimes he hits them perfect. Sometimes he... Or perfectly. Sometimes he hits them uh, where he so badly, where he overshoots his target so badly that he either almost kills himself or his opponent. Here he almost killed his opponent. He landed right on Naito's fucking head as they went down. I'm like, that is not what you should have been aiming, sir. Like, you're supposed to aim for, like, his body, for him to catch you. Not supposed to crush his head into the fucking, into the, uh, into the floor out there. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah, he's had, <laughs> you know, uh, not too much consistent, you know, he hasn't been too consistent with his high spots since he's come back. Um, you know, Tiger Mask posted a video of him training kicks with Kawato today, and I think that's a good place for him to focus. For <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like, you know, and I, and now to be clear, it's, you know, this, at least, it, I mean, you could be like, oh, well, Naito, of all people, shouldn't be take, getting landed on like that. Right before Naito got landed on like that, he was like, how am I going to bump for this springboard elbow by Master Wato, a low-card junior, in this meaningless tag team match? I'm going to land right on my neck. That's what I'm going to do. So that's what Naito does on his own. So he doesn't, he doesn't really need Wato's help to land on his head and neck. He just does it does it more than uh, more than enough on his own. But, yeah, that's his go-to right now. <laughs> uh, this is pretty good. I went three and a quarter. Nothing you're going to like remember super well or love or anything, but... Some fun stuff here. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, so I didn't watch most of the tour, but to me, it seemed like seemed like the bulk of the stuff they were doing. You know, they had they had a lot of reps with, which is you know one of my criticisms of how they handle these tours now is that you see so many of the spots over and over again. Um, you know, but if you're saying that that it was uh, you know three and a half stars or whatever, then I think it certainly served its purpose. Yeah, I went three and a quarter on this one, but pretty, pretty yeah. good, pretty good. Uh, our semi-main event uh, was in the World Tag League 2020 final. Uh, Tamatanga, Tangaloa, the Gorillas of Destiny, the second place in the league, defeating Finn Juice, the first place when Tamatanga pinned Juice in 22-15 with the Super Power Bomb. So God finally win their first World Tag League. 
on some on something like their fifth try, I think. So, and they've been to like three finals before this. So, I mean, it was a long time coming for them. Of course, it came with a lot of bullshit, as we'll talk about. Uh, but yeah, it was a, definitely like a, a the last major achievement for them as a team after they've won the IWGP tag team titles like a million times and are actually approaching the uh, days record, I think, or something. Which is I kind of, had no idea that they had never won the World Tag League before. Yeah, they had lost, I believe, three different times. I can look this up in two seconds, let me say. World Tag League. Maybe Honma and Makabe once. Yeah, let me see. Maybe Finley and Juice one time. Yeah, there was Finley and Juice last year. Okay, so they were the runners-up in... Uh, they didn't They didn't form yet in 2015. Okay, so 2016... 2016, it was... Yeah, they were the runner, They lost to Makabe and Honma in 2016. 2017, they lost to Evil and Sonata. Twenty eighteen, they lost to Evil and Sonata. So that was three years in a row where they lost in the final. And then last year they didn't make the final. It was uh, Evil and Sonata losing to. um, Oh, there was no final. Last year was where they just did the uh, the first place team would win. So they like they did in the the real world tag league this year with the uh, uh, in all Japan. So the de facto final, the match ended up deciding it was Evil Sonata against Finjuice, which Finjuice won. But yeah, the. Oh, sorry, you can tell I'm a bit. You can tell I'm a big evil guy because, like, I remember the <laughs> Makabe Honma match. But I forgot <laughs> the two more recent finals that were both against Evil and Sonata. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But uh, but yeah, the 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 match here obviously was their first time winning the winning the uh, winning the World Tag League. I want to look real quick at the IWGP Tag Team thing. How because they're like ridiculously close to like an all time record, which is pretty ridiculous. They have they've held these about six times. Which is already insane. And I think that's that might already be the record, actually. Let me see. Uh, most reigns. Let's see. Combined number of reigns for a team. Yes, they're already tied for the most reigns of all time with Tinkozi. So, oh, okay. So it's the combined defenses record that they're closing in on. So they have nine defenses combined. Uh, they're one behind Bad Intentions, who did it all in one reign. Their one reign, they had ten defenses. They're two behind Kengo Kimura and Tatsumi Fujinami and Tinkozi, who both have 11 defenses. And they're three behind Cho Ten, uh, Tenzan and Chono, who had 12 defenses and five reigns. So they're actually not that close to the combined days because they're at 607. And the record is again Cho Ten at 1010. So oh, I hope they don't get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. But yeah, the, the, com- the combined defenses, they're, they're close. And the number of reigns, they're tied for the lead. They just need one more reign to. Break the all-time record. So, uh, but anyway, so they are, of course, your new World Tag League winners. I thought they were going to win this. I predicted it because, I mean, they Finjus beat them in the tag league. So I was like, okay, I think God are going to get their win back here. That's just not like having Finjus win twice in a row is not normally how New Japan does things. So we'll have to see if it leads to just God versus Dangerous Techers. Um, you know, with the Techers as the faces, which it, it, they might do that because the Techers did get screwed by them. In the tag league, which is the only reason why they weren't in the final, uh, so they were saying a lot of stuff about you know uh, wanting revenge on them, or it could be a three-way with Finn Juice. Always very possible, even though Ju- I mean Juice clearly had another match set up by the end here, but you know there's two nights they could just do one on one night, one on the other night, so it could be a three-way with Finn Juice still. But yeah, so Jado seems to mess up towards the start of the match, and like he it was so weird, he casually grabs on Juice's leg when he hits the ropes in front of him. Like, I, I didn't even look like much of a trip. 
but it was right in front of the ref. And for once, Marty Asami's like, kicking you out. I'm just like, what? I've seen guys do way worse in front of you, and you do nothing. But he had the young lions drag him to the back. I was like, okay. <laughs> That's very, very interesting, I guess. Uh, so we got a very energetic juice comeback uh, just before and after the 10-minute mark. Big plunge of the floor on Tonga Loa. And then Jado comes waddling back out uh, when Juice has Thomas set up for the Pulp Friction. And that distracts Marty long enough for Tonga to come in and hit him with another kendo stick. Uh, different than the one Jado has in his hand uh, for a few times, which leads to a near fall. Now, why Marty Sami doesn't get the young lions to tell them, drag Jado back out of here again, I have no idea. It doesn't really make any sense, but uh, he, he doesn't do that. So, we get a... Oh, sorry, you want to add something? Yeah, I mean, I guess this is a good point to bring up my other contention that I'm sure has been discussed at, at length. But I think it's just really, this match, it would have been a lot better if it weren't for all the referee involvement in the match. And it's not even just, like, ref bumping, which I, I know gets a lot of credit. It's just, like, have a match, right? There's already four people in this match. You don't need to have the ref being so involved in it. Um it just it wears on me like I can't because it, it comes up in almost every match at some point. Like you said, they're all about the bullshit. So, yeah, it just really even in the main event, like there was some ref stuff that it was like, really, is that necessary? Um, and I don't know, maybe I'm just getting like grumpy in my old age, but I uh, it just really rubs me the wrong way when it's done so over the top and so frequently. Well, you're definitely not the only one. I see. I don't know. I feel like. <laughs> My my counter argument to this is I honestly do not know if they're doing it more often because I was really thinking about this and I'm like to me there's always one unit that's doing a lot of interfering. Like, do you remember that that year in 2017 when in, in 2017 Minoru Suzuki had that terrible never title reign where they Suzuki Goon ran on every single fucking match and everybody hated it. Like I feel yeah. like I'm go, I feel like I'm going crazy sometimes when I hear people talk about how much more interference New Japan is doing. I'm like. They've always had a lot of interference. It's always like they what they do is they just designate one unit at a time, and it's like you're the interference unit. You're going to have a lot of run-ins. Nobody else will do it. That seems to be. Oh, I lost JoJo. I assume we'll come right back while I'm in the uh, middle of my rant. I, I'm still here. Uh, I'm still okay. Here. Oh, that was the. I think we lost the other <laughs> me. The other you. Uh, but yes. <laughs> so they always designate one unit as the running unit. I mean, there was a time where LIJ was the running unit when they first formed, that they stopped doing it after like Dominion 2016. Uh, there was a time when Suzuki-kun was the running unit and they had a ton of run-ins and all their stuff. Uh, you know, whether it was in NOAA or New Japan, honestly, and that they, they largely stopped doing it. And now Bullet Club is the big running unit, which they have been in the past too. So I don't know. I, I, yeah. I kind of feel like there's always been a lot of bullshit, but maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm just going crazy. So- it's not just the run-ins to me, right? I think it's just the treatment of referees. That's right. Um, and that they they just don't seem like an authority in the ring, which, I mean, I really sound like a, a grumpy old guy at this point, but, like, they ha- there has to be some sort of... Um, basically, it just com- it continues to remind me that, hey, this is, this is not for you. This is not for you every time it happens. Uh, just because it takes me out of the, the flow of the match. Now, the run-in, like, we haven't talked about it yet, but Kenta's run-in in this match, I thought was excellent. I think it added a lot. It got a huge reaction. Yeah. Um, um, so run-ins, I'm not against. I just think that when you com- when you continue to undermine the refs, 
it just it wears on the grumpy old fan i guess is my <laughs> thesis yeah no that's fair <laughs> i just wanted to push back on the run-ins because i feel like a lot of people have been pushing that this in the last like three or four months and i just it, it makes me wonder what like what what they were watching during those suzuki matches and stuff because like yeah, to me they, they've always been a lot of run-ins in this company but yeah run-ins are not my problem it's just the referee has no no authority and no like it doesn't seem like it's an actual person uh-huh. It just seems like it's just like a prop. Basically. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, so yeah, that that pisses me off. But anyway, uh, so God sets Juice up for the super power bomb. Juice counters with a huge midair rana. That was awesome. Uh, Tonga Loa took quite a bump for it too. Tonga Loa, I banged on that drum, but he is like now better than his brother, which is so weird to me because he was quite bad when he first started out, but he's like actually good now. It's very weird. I guess he just worked with all these guys long enough he just i don't know he just he's good at what he's good at, he's a pretty good wrestler <laughs> yeah and we and when he came in we thought that tama was like kind of on the trajectory to become like a good singles wrestler and i remember like people were bummed out that now they you know kind of put uh you know his brother on his back but my yeah, i totally agree with you now he's he's a better wrestler uh Ta- tama did take this uh uh, take the stutter from Finley. He took like an old school rock flying bump for that, which I thought was funny. He just went flying. Uh, maybe a little too cartoony for New Japan, but it was funny. I mean, I can't call anything cartoony with the, the treatment of the referees, so I'm good with it. <laughs> uh, Juice and Finley hit the old school heart attack on Tama for a two yeah. count. Uh, Juice goes up top for the Doomsday Device, but Tonga Lord just fucking shoves him. Uh, or no, actually, no, that was Finley. Finley goes up top of the Doomsday Device, and Ta- Tonga just shoves him all the way to the floor, like, really hard. And then Juice, uh, you know, Jado comes in with the kendo stick. Juice catches it, threatens to hit him with it, but Kenta runs in out of nowhere, hits Juice over the head with the U.S. briefcase, and like you said, the crowd, like, audibly reacted to this, like, you know, uh, one of these, like, pops now where they, the crowd forgets they're not supposed to, they're not supposed to make noise because yeah. they're so shocked. So those are the best, those are the best things in Puro right now. And then G.O.D. gives Juice a super power bomb that almost knocks Asami over. So that was good visual, too. That is the pen. They have finally won the World Tag League. Um, I actually really like this. It was a shade under four stars for me, though. Uh, mm. I mean, the logic of Jado being sent to the back and then just being allowed to stay after he came back is, like, one of those little things that annoys me more than him just interfering throughout the match. So, I don't know. There's, there's something there where, like, maybe it is almost what you said about the refs being too too useless. But it's like, the ref finally showed some initiative, but then, like, never showed that initiative again when he came back out. It was very bizarre to me. Like, I don't know why they bothered doing that. Uh, I guess yeah. the, I guess the idea was to make you think Finjus is going to win and then swerve you, but I don't know. I think this was, like you said, like, almost an excellent match, right? I had it at the same rating. Uh, uh, you went to three and three quarters, just, too? Yeah, just under four. Um, you know, and I think that's a credit to how excellent Finn Juice is as a tag team. Yeah. Um, you know, I, if they were to, if they had more reps this year, I think they would be my tag team of the year, but just since they weren't there for so long, I couldn't do that. Um, but yeah, I thought they were excellent in this match. I thought they were really good in their last match of the tour too. Um, and you know, I think. I would like to see them get more just two, you know, straight up tag matches. It seems like Juice is going to end up getting more singles, which I don't know what that means for for Finley. But um, these guys, I think, are are an excellent tag team and should be, at some point, the centerpiece of of a good division. 
Yeah, the the division is like like the thing that that really struck me watching the World Tag League is like, oh, they can actually have a pretty good division now if they wanted to. I mean, they have enough good teams, but some yeah. of those guys are not going to be full time tag team guys, I guess. So they just have never exhibited any willingness or any desire to have a good tag division. Yeah, exactly. Um, but they have all the pieces, and like fucking David Finley, he he has to be the most underrated wrestler in the world. Yeah, I mean he's high up there. Yeah, I mean, so good. He's really one of these guys where it's like, like after this match where it's like, okay, Kenta gets Juice obviously, or Juice gets Kenta obviously at the dome. It's like Finley had better not be in some fucking never six man gauntlet because he's too good for that at this point. So yeah, I see Finley like kind of. This is I don't know, just my internal like perception of him. But I feel like if he was around uh, twenty years ago, he would be like considered, you know, an elite worker. Yeah. Um, if he was working like Japan and the U.S. Indies, I feel like he would be, you know, uh, a favorite of you know our group of fans, basically. Yeah. But uh, afterwards, so you know, like I said, I also went three and three quarters on this. Really great, not quite four stars. Uh, the closing stretch was awesome. The Kento run-in was certainly unexpected. Set up a pretty enormous superpower bomb, so the finish worked for me. But yeah. Uh, Juice seemed to have been busted open by that shot with the briefcase. It sounded very loud, too. He was, like, very mad backstage. And I honestly thought some of that promo energy was, like, not maybe not even just the kayfabe or acting. Maybe he just really got fucked up by that briefcase shot and was mad about it. But I don't know. Yeah, he hit him really hard, I guess, <laughs> you know. I guess that was legit, but um, pretty pretty brutal. Uh, Kenta afterward comes in with a camera. He takes a picture of G.O.D. and Jado with the tag lead trophies and a huge smirk on his face. That was just funny as hell. Kenta, Kenta is like one of the best characters in all of wrestling at this point, which is kind of amazing. But For sure, for sure. Uh, uh, he posted the picture on Instagram. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, we already talked about it, but yeah, Finley better not be stuck with the fucking Never Six Man Gauntlet. He deserves better. Uh, the, if they've got two shows, they got to be able to find them a match. I think so, too. The main event, Hiromu Takahashi defeats El Desperado in 30-14 with the Time Bomb 2. Hiromu Takahashi wins his second Best of Super Junior, the Best of Super Junior 27. Uh, this was incredible. I mean, this was... I, I'll go through it all. I mean, like, just... Uh, uh, you know, it's hard to even, like... It's one of these matches where, like, I don't even know what to say a little bit because... Like, so much of the the match was, like, the energy and the magic to it that it's hard to really explain in audio. But, like, they went out there and, I mean, I it's one of these times where I had very high expectations. Like, I specifically, once I realized this final was Hiromu and Despi, I decided not to open up voting for the New Japan Top 10 Match of the Year list that we do every year for the New Japan ebook Because I, I, like, deliberately wait until this match was over because I'm like, okay, well, this match could factor in. Uh, it sure how did factor in because this was, you know, I had very high expectations and they somehow still exceeded them. So, you know, I mean, this is the best COVID era match I've seen. And I have to be clear that I haven't seen the Go Shiozaki versus Nakajima or the Go Shiozaki versus Sugera matches yet that I've gotten a lot of love. So probably going to watch those this week. Just had no time uh, with all these tournaments I've been covering. Uh, but yeah, this is the best COVID era match I've seen. This is the second best match of the year in New Japan or in the world behind only Okada Naito. This is five stars. It's just an incredible match. So I will try to go through it and do as much justice as I can. But let's see here. Uh, 
Hiromu hands Milano a sketchbook. He's crossed out Desperado's entry, where I guess he said originally, like, I don't hate him anymore. Now it says, like, I hate him after all, right? That's the translation, I think. I didn't see what he wrote in. Okay. That's what it origin- That's what the original one said, the original- I didn't see what he wrote in. Yeah, I think it was I hate him after all, but I could be wrong. Uh, but yeah, Desperado, meanwhile, has a really cool new costume, almost like a Mirror Universe version. Like, his mask and his tights are white with black trim instead of black with white trim, so... Uh, yeah, that's what it said. I can see. I'm looking at the website oh. now. That's what the second. It's like you said. I I don't hate him anymore, but of course, after all, I do hate him. Yeah, I mean, I think Hiroma's selling in general in this match was excellent, and just the way it was structured, where Despi was basically in control for the bulk of the match, and Hiromu's offense was more or less like you know limited to these quick like throwing these quick bombs. Yeah. Uh, so I think that, you know, that element of the structure was just excellent. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark until now. Introducing slab packs from arena club Com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying hey look at some random cards whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network uh desperado oh first aroma gives desperado a uh this hard wheelbarrow slam on the outside i looked that looked like it was nasty 
And then Desperado back in the ring goes for the stretch muffler for the first time. Hiromu rolls it off almost immediately. Uh, Despy tries to charge Hiromu in the corner, but Hiromu hits one of the biggest overhead belly to bellies in the corner. It was crazy. Uh, Hiromu goes for the time bomb for the first time. Desperado counters it almost with a schoolboy, but instead of going for the pin, he goes right into stretch muffler. Uh, Hiromu, like you, like you said, his selling here is incredible. He screams his way over the ropes fairly quickly, but truly awesome selling from him, as you probably expect. Um, and then there was the moment of the match where, like, uh, <laughs> you had to ask, was that a botch or is Hiromu just that insane or both? So Hiromu goes for the sunset flip power bomb to Desperado to the floor. He completely misses him. He just jumps right through it and eats shit on the floor. I think this was a botch because he runs right back up instead of selling it to grab Despy on the apron. But they think so fast and have Desperado kick him back hard to the railing that, like, to me, it doesn't take anything away from the match. And, like, if, like, if the point was supposed to be he was supposed to go for the sunset flip and not get it and Despy was supposed to kick him back in the railing, it really doesn't detract from the match at all. In fact, it adds to it because he yeah. takes this ridiculous bump off this mid-sunset flip. Uh, and, you know, it just another, like, crazy bump in this match. So... I think it was a mistake, but I think it adds to the match too. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think that just speaks to a, like how much on the same page they are, but also it completely plays into who Hiromu is, right? Like not only was he getting overwhelmed in the match at this point, but that's his offense, right? He takes risks yeah. and that time the risk didn't pay off. So I thought that was yes, a botch, but, uh, definitely added to the match. Uh, Desperado then grabs one of his tag belts when Red Shoes is distracted by him, he or distracted by that, he tosses it to the side, and then he beats the shit out of Hiromu's leg with a chair again, just like he did back at Corican. so a great callback there. And then he locks him in the stretch muffler, again, just like he beat him with that at Corican uh, in their best of Super Junior match. Hiromu keeps trying to make it to the ropes, Desperado rolls him back to the center, and then Hiromu somehow stands up out of it and turns it into a, a fucking Canadian destroyer. I... I fucking jumped out of my chair for this. It's almost too goofy, but the way they pulled it off, it, it really worked for me. Like, I was just fucking going crazy for that. Yeah. You have to put your, like, is does this make sense hat aside for a second and just, like, take it in as just being an awesome spot. Yeah. Because uh, that, you know, it doesn't make sense. Like you said, it is goofy in my opinion, but it looks so cool that, uh, so cool and so, so super creative, right? I don't think I've ever seen that before. So... Um, yeah, again, definitely a good spot. Uh, Despy then pushes Hiromu into Red Shoes in the corner, punches him right in the nuts, but when he goes to pick Hiromu back up to his feet, Hiromu hits a Desperado-style straight right hand to the face. That was, again, awesome. Just a great moment in their little feud. And then, obviously, the sequence of the entire match, he starts ripping Desperado's mask off. Uh, sadly, I was spoiled on that before it happened. I wish I had not known that, that was going to happen. Uh, before I mean, before I saw it happen, I should say. But the live fans are so stunned, they get this, like, one of their biggest reactions of the COVID era. And then Desperado is in a kneeling position with half his mask ripped off. He just stares up at Hiromu like, okay, fucker, that's what you want to do? He stands up. He voluntarily takes the rest of his mask off. The crowd at this point is losing their shit. And, Hiro- and Desperado gives him a look. He smiles, he points his finger out like, don't forget you asked for this, and he just starts going buck wild on with these slaps right to the face. Hiromu goes crazy back. We got the 25-minute call. They're like, Hiromu goes for his own straight punch. 
Uh, Hiromu goes for his own enormous counter slap that, that rocks him. They're like rolling around the mat, going crazy. And then Desperado does get the punch out of nowhere. Just an incredible sequence. Like, I, I saw someone, I'm not going to call him out by name, some other podcaster, who was like, oh, this was just a normal junior match other than the mass spot. First of all, bullshit <laughs> is the first thing I have to say to that. Bullshit. It was, it was, the rest of the match was awesome too. But what the hell kind of critique is that? If you take out the greatest moment in the match that they've built up to with these two characters for a fucking decade, basically, since they were both young lions, then it's just another match. Like, what is that? Like, how is that a fucking critique? Like, if you take out the best moment in a lot of matches, they're not going to be as good. Like, what a stupid fucking critique that was. You know what? I'll call them out. It was the Grapple Podcast. What a stupid take, guys, if you're listening to this. They're probably not listening, but it was a stupid take. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely the moment of the match, definitely the moment of the show, uh, by all accounts, the moment of the entire tour, and honestly, the moment of Despy's fucking career to this point. Yeah! So, it'd be like, so it would be like being like, oh, you know, like it didn't happen. it'd be like, oh, you know, that, uh, I don't know, that, I can't think of a good, matter. I was gonna say, like, Hogan slamming Andre uh, wasn't that big a deal, but, like, that match does suck, <laughs> but, I mean, you know, it's still a big, big fucking moment. You can't just take the the biggest moment out of a match and then say the match wasn't that good if you take the biggest moment out of a match. It's, like, that's not, yeah. that's not critique. That's just, you clearly don't want to like something, so you're making up excuses not to like it at that point. I don't know. It's just, that's just insane to me. But Yeah, that's not a good critique. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, at this point in the match, they... They had gotten to where they wanted to get, and they did it pretty much as perfectly as you could do it, apart from, um, you know, a couple of little miscues that one of them, I think, added to the match. Uh, And the other thing was, at this point, like, you kind of felt, and this is part of the story, too, so you can't really critique it either, that Despy had basically controlled more or less the entire match. Um, And then from this point, I just, the thing that that disconnects for me is if Despy loses his his mask, he should get somewhat of a boost from that, right? But he just kind of fades out. So I guess they're just telling the story that Hiromu ends up, after all, being the strongest junior and Despy can't overcome him. But at this point, like... So basically, I think Despy should have won the match. Hmm. Um, and that's what hurt it a little bit for me. Yeah. I mean, I think the um, I, I think the idea was... Yeah, I, I thought... My read on it was I thought... I thought this is the idea was that after this happened, he lost his cool and yeah, wasn't able to recover. Yeah, got desperate. Yeah. And wasn't able to recover it and wasn't able to get back to the strategy he had. So, because he never goes out to the leg again. Why take it off yourself? Well, I, I just. he didn't see that being a possible outcome of doing it. It's yeah. just so silly. I guess yeah. he was just so angry. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's <laughs> what I thought. Because, like, he looks at him like, fuck you, basically. Like, okay, you want to do this and I'm going to beat the shit out of you. But that wasn't a strategy in the match. The strategy was going after the leg. So I think. So, so Hiromu got into his head, basically. That's, that's how I read it. Like, when he tore up, when he tore up that mask. So yeah, that's fair. Uh, Desperado goes for the pinche loco. Hiromu counters and spins him into a huge headbutt, leaves both guys down. Uh, Hiromu hits the, I believe it's called Victory Royale, that suplex facebuster thing he does now. That shit was awesome. That is, a, it's a great move. <laughs> yeah, he go- I jumped out of my seat for that. 
He goes for Time Bomb 2. Desperado lands behind him. He gets that, I don't remember what it's called, it's his signature cradle uh, for ridiculously close near fall. That was like the second best one of the match. I mean, he the near fall was so close, and Desperado is like fucking pounding the mat. Like, yeah. God damn it, this was my best chance. I had him. It was like so, such a great moment. Uh, and not only that, but I don't have anything left. Like, this was it. I, I put all my eggs in this basket after I thought that I had won previously. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, at this point, he's just, like, complete desperation and frustration. Yeah, he's, like, breaking down, basically. It was just, just a great, great character work. Uh, yeah. Hiromu goes for a lariat. Desperado catches his arm, goes for Pinche Loco. Hiromu counters that into the running Death Valley driver into the exposed corner, which I forgot they exposed that corner. I didn't even take it down in my notes. So It's like the first <laughs> minute of the match. Yeah, basically. I totally forgot they did that. So when he ran in there and like I saw the corner was exposed, I was like, oh, shit. And Death Rado sells us like he just got fucking murdered. So, again, just perfect, perfect, perfect. Hiromu hits and his back started bleeding a little bit. That's too. true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hiromu hits the time bomb. Desperado kicks out at two. Crowd just cannot stop reacting at this point. It's... They've forgotten there's a deadly virus. Uh, Desperado, like, lays there on the mat. He knows he's done. Just amazing, I thought, amazing facial expression from him. Like, you can just tell he knows he's done. And Arbo picks him up, gives him the spinning brain buster, which I don't know if he ever does that before, really. Or he's ever done that before. Like a spinning victory royale. Yeah, sort of. So I guess it's like a, maybe, maybe it's like an ultimate royale or something. Yeah. Uh, we got the 30-minute call. Hiromu picks him up and hit, gives him the time bomb, too, for the win. I mean, I, I saw some people say they thought the finish was, like, anticlimactic or something, but I thought this was perfect. I mean, Desperado was essentially done for the first time bomb. He kicked out because he was able to kick out. But instead of doing, like, you know, they could have done more counters or whatever, which is almost the house style. But I thought it made way more sense for the story they told for Homer to be like, well, hit my move or hit, like, two more, like, super moves and that's it. So I thought this was perfect. I don't know. I don't know if one of the people that wanted more, more like, counters here or anything, but... I just... So, I'm going to go back and watch it again, because your enthusiasm has, has wanted me to take give it one more shot. And to be fair, I, I gave it four and a half stars. Which you is, hated me, it. Puts it! You hated it! For me, puts it in my, <laughs> my top ten pretty much for sure. Because uh, I don't throw out four and a half stars very often. But, um, to me, my criticism was that, like, Despy just destroyed him in 90% of the match. Um, and then there was that flip where all of a sudden Hiromu's like one of his bombs that he's throwing finally connects enough for him to just for Despi to realize that he has no chance to win anymore. Uh, so yeah, that's, I guess just a minor criticism at this point, but yeah, totally one of the best matches of the year, no matter how you slice it, definitely not a normal junior match with one memorable spot. <laughs> said. I know it's um, such, a, such a crazy critique. I don't, I, don't I mean, he, even if you 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 put it, you know, as not a not a surefire match of the year, but a contender, it's still one of the best Super Junior Finals ever. Um, if you're in your camp, then it's probably the best Super Junior Final ever. It's like right there with me to the uh, the Taiji and Hiromu one. I also won five on. So yeah, um, so an incredible end to. A shitty year, I would say. For, yeah. For New Japan, really. Um, I don't think the year was shitty. I thought it was fine. But that's my that's my opinion. Yeah. And I, I guess that that plays <laughs> into how much you liked the yeah. the Naito Okada match. I mean, too, we're right? going to talk about this when we do our New Japan year interview, which might have a whole bunch of guests. I don't, it's not 100% confirmed yeah. yet. But uh, 
I thought their year was I I would say good. It wasn't like an all time great year. Uh, they were definitely I definitely preferred twenty eighteen, and I will take that to my grave because I don't think anything in this year was as bad as the Bullet Club Civil War. But uh, but I don't know. I I get why people didn't like it, but it definitely was not a bad year to me at least. And there's enough stuff here that I really enjoyed it. And like you know, one of these things where I'm like. So I'm doing these two awards, right? The uh, Omakase Awards on Patreon and the Omakase Awards for the uh, for guests. So guests can vote and then also patrons can vote. New Japan is running away with best promotion in the patron awards. Really? So it's destroying the competition. Oh, in the patron awards, okay. Yeah. It's, it's still – it's up there in the guest awards so far too. It's, you know, it, it's a lot more close, but it's still – it's I think it's winning right now. Uh, it's very close, but I think it is winning. But the patron awards – I mean, it is 21 points ahead of the next best uh, promotion. So, you know, it's got eight first place votes out of, uh, let me say, 16 people have voted so far, I think. So, like, half the people have said it's their, it's first place. And only, I think, three people out of the people that voted so far haven't given it at least second or third. So, I mean, this idea that, like, people, you know, all Western Puro fans or whatever hate hated New Japan's year, it, it's not, like... It's not really in reality, as far as I can tell. There yeah. definitely are people. And when I say like, shitty year, I, I don't mean that they haven't had good matches and it hasn't been worthwhile to follow because it has. I guess my critique was that the highest end matches that I've seen this year did not take place in New Japan for the first time in a long time. Yeah. Um, for me, I, this uh, and Okada Night are still the best two matches I saw. So. Yeah, which is fair. Yeah. Watch those two Shiozaki matches, though. Yeah, I will. I definitely will. I mean, I have Kaito go at from one four at four and three quarters as my number three match of the year. But, okay, well, then, it was yeah. it was my number two before this, but this beat okay, this then definitely watch him. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yes. Yeah, so these to to wrap up this match, I guess. I mean, these two insane people just went balls to the wall. Pretty much the opening bell for thirty straight minutes. Uh, they worked in all sorts of little callbacks to prior matches. Uh, you know, Desperado tried some of his cheating bullshit. Uh, kind of abandoned it, which I that was an interesting one to me, where, like, I don't know, you know, he tried it twice, and then he never really went back to it again. And, you know, I would love to know if it was supposed to be some kind of, like, respect for Hiromu that he ultimately couldn't do it at the end, or if he just, like, you know, was caught up in getting, like you said, taking all these bombs and stuff. But I thought that was interesting that he kind of abandoned the cheating bullshit. It makes me wonder if he isn't kind of, de- like, leaning face like some Suzuki-goon guys seem to be. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I guess it's just, like, how we're interpreting it. But maybe it's also, like, he got overconfident where he thought he didn't need to yeah. to cheat to win because he thought he was, you know, pretty much uh, on path to do it. Yeah. Um, the the mass ripping spot was incredible. I, I wish to God I hadn't already seen, like... I had to post an omakase thing Friday morning, and I totally forgot that, like... It would, uh, I would see like some voice of wrestling accounts and some other accounts. And I saw Desperado's face on mass. I was like, fuck. <laughs> I wish I hadn't seen that. I really wish I could have seen that without seeing it happen, the match without already knowing it happened. But it was yeah. incredible. To me, like, obviously the, ma- the mass spot was really cool. But just as a side comment, like, in the past, he's had some crazy hairstyles. Yeah. You know, like blonde cornrows or whatever, shaving the back and the sides. Um, 
but now he's like ready for a fucking job interview. What the hell's with his hair? Yeah, he was like, <laughs> he did look very normal in his hair there. Yeah. Uh, he's one of these guys where it's like, well, he took the mask off. It's like, wow, why are you in a mask? I don't really get it. Like, he looks like Naruki Doi, which uh, Rich Krejci also pointed out, I should say. The hair. Yeah, and like, I don't know, he looks very, it, it, it was a very like, he, he, he's a very good looking man, I guess. I don't know where else I'm going with this. He doesn't need to be under a Desperado, the obvious that spot was incredible. Um, and, you know, the, the, the a masking was almost like the two of them going full circle, you know, back to Hiromu and Kiyosuke Mikami. Uh, although, like, Desperado, when he got, came backstage, like, I, he very forcefully said, there are only two people in that ring tonight, uh, Hiromu and El Desperado, and walked away, which I thought that was a great little statement by him. Uh, you know, basically saying, I'm still not Kiyosuke Mikami. But, you know, it's maybe this isn't the end of the story, but definitely feels like a satisfying end to this you know, 2020 chapter. Yeah, okay, so uh, we had a little audio difficulty, but I was just saying that, uh, you know, this was a satisfying end, I thought, to their 2020 chapter, even though it probably isn't the end of their story. You know, they, again, I've made this point a few times on uh, different platforms, but, like, as for as much shit as New Japan's booking has gotten this year, and again, plenty of it deserved. I've complained about stuff, too. Uh, Some of it not deserved. Plenty of it deserved. Uh, I do think the way they booked this whole junior fall whatever you want to call this desperado horomu fall was pretty much perfect i mean they did the junior tag league final and the junior tag title match where like you know you're wondering what the hell are they doing why why is horomu and bushi losing to desperado and uh kanemaru twice in a row why is desperado pinning horomu it came off like really weird but not i wouldn't say bad but just like you didn't really see where they were going with it. And then they go to the best of Super Junior. Desperado beats him again. And then finally they get here, the Budokan final. And you can see it and re- back, looking back like, oh, this is what they were building to all fall- throughout the entire fall. But it wasn't obvious until we got here. So that's like the best kind of build to me anyway. Like where it, it's logical, it makes sense, but it wasn't super fucking obvious from the moment it started. So... Yeah, I mean, there's some parallels between this and the Naito Evil feud. Just, you know, in the kind of the sum of the different, you know, phases in it. Not necessarily the order, right? Because Evil obviously got his big one in the beginning. Um, But, yeah, I just wonder, like, if it's the same person pulling the strings in this division as it is in the heavyweight division and, you know can those two people get together and have a better result in the heavyweight division? Too? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I thought this was a, you know, incredible way to end, you know, again, five-star match. I said that at the start, but for me, it's five. I put it below Okada Naito, just below it. So my number two match of the year. Uh, and I thought it was an incredible way to end what ended up being a damn good best of super juniors. I mean, uh, it was really carried by Hiromu in particular. I mean, you know, I did the the top ten matches in the last episode, and I think he's in my not even counting the final. I think he was in my top six. So he had an awesome tournament. Uh, you know, the tournament started slow. I mean, the first few nights. Uh, I mean, night one was good. The combined one, like night, I believe nights two and three. Like there was like one Corican maybe through night four that was like kind of disappointing. But the back half of the tournament really, really picked up, and that to me is where this became a, a really good tournament. You know, to me, it doesn't touch last year. But I never expected it to with, you know, half the participants and all the other COVID era, uh, you know, handicaps and stuff. But 
I, you know, this is like a 7 or a 7.5 to tournament overall, which I think is about as good as you could expect it from a half field, you know, clap crowd era, you know, tournament. Whereas like last year would have been like a 9 or 9.5 out of 10. So, but uh, Hiromu afterwards apparently says he wants to fight the Super J Cup winner before he fights Ishimori. So I assume this is another two night thing they're doing. So Hiromu will fight whoever wins the Super J Cup. That is airing. Uh, as I'm recording this at 9.13 p.m. on Saturday, so that's going to start airing at 10 p.m. So we're not covering that this week, obviously. Uh, really, I'm not, I don't think I'm covering that at all, honestly, but I'm going to watch it, I guess. Uh, but yeah, whoever that wins that, which um, I've seen a lot of speculation could be Leo Rush. He did talk a lot about wanting to come over to Japan and wrestle, and uh, you know, New Japan ran like a big interview with him saying that, so it could easily be him. But yeah, I assume Hiromu will face whoever the Super J Cup winner is on night one, and the winner of that will face Taiji Shimori for the junior title on night two. So I have no problem with that. Have you seen up. the uh, promo video or the vignette that they, that they have up for Leo Rush? I didn't see that, no. You have to watch that. Okay. What was It's it? really good. Um, It's kind of like the the one that they did for Moxley uh... where he's like escaping the prison or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um. Same vibe, but it's produced really well. Someone mentioned to me that it wasn't, it didn't come from New Japan. It was something that Leo Rush did on his own. But if you haven't seen that, and you haven't, definitely check it out. He is such um, a such a weird guy because it's like, it's it's. I don't even mean that in a bad way or anything. It's just like he. It's really weird to see him like talk about how his only goal now is to wrestle for New Japan. And it's such a weird path to go from. I mean, he's only twenty six still, I think. And he went from being like on weekly television every week on Monday Night Raw as Bobby Lashley's, like, weird manager. And now he's like, I just want to wrestle in New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's a very weird career path. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, his his entire career has basically taken place since I've been in Japan. So I really, I don't even know that I've really seen a full match of his before. Mm. Um, so I, you know, I kind of know this, you know, where he's been just from hearing and seeing, you know, bits and pieces but i've never seen him work a full match so i'm excited to see what he, what he brings uh joe lanza who was like the only person watching 205 live during that era insists that he was really good on that show so cool have to wait and see i mean i personally would like to see ach you know back in the tokyo dome but it sounds like ach uh, has a gcw booking like oh new, really new year's eve yeah so that might be yeah. why i think that's why people are assuming it's not him because he'd still have to, he'd have to do a two week quarantine still, so can't just fly in. But uh, unless they've changed that, but I don't, I don't think they have. Uh, uh, you know, there's caveats, but I think given his status, he would have to do it. Yeah. Well, there you go. So overall, like we said, great show. Even if the main event was the only like truly awesome match, uh, everything built up well here for Wrestle Kingdom. Oh, I was just saying, you know, definitely. Like you said, a great show. Um, but, you know, I think the overarching, you know, final point I'd make is just that you don't have to watch the whole show, uh, but you definitely have to watch the main event because it's one of the best matches of the year. Yeah, already. Uh, so let's move over to DET. Uh, we went pretty long on New Japan, but... Uh, yeah, longer to... than I expected. <laughs> yeah, it'll be pretty long. Uh, so we'll try to go through this a little quick. Uh, this was the DDT DO Grand Prix Night 7. Uh, the final block night of the DDT Grand Prix. Um, this was a really good show, I thought. I mean, not like show of the year or anything, but like compared to a lot of these tournament nights, uh, other than the first one, really, this was easily the best one. So, 
Uh, yeah, I didn't watch most of the tournament, so I don't really have a strong feeling on where it stacks up against the rest of the shows. But uh, I will agree that almost every single, uh, aside from one, I'd say all the league matches were uh, I bet at the I, worst. I bet we have the same uh, one. <laughs> yeah, so everything was at the worst very good. Mm-hmm. Some excellent stuff. Uh, but let's get into it. So the three-way tag match, I did not watch this. I had to skip it for time reasons. Uh, my boss decided to bother me on a Saturday, so thank you to her. Uh, so I almost didn't watch the show in time. But yeah, so this was a three-way tag. I usually do watch the undercard tags. I just didn't have time here. Uh, Mad Polly and Nobuhiro Shibatani defeat Mizuki Watashi and Hideki Okutani and Yukio Naya and Keigo Nakamura when Shimatani pinned Nakamura after a combined body press at 8.13. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Um, you know, the, the two things that stood out to me, just one superficial, was that Naya is getting into really good shape. Um, I think he's, you know, probably lost a considerable amount of weight since he first started in DDT. Uh, he hasn't really changed his work, so, you know, he still has some, some work to do there. But another thing is this, that uh, Shimatani looked really good, um, and he was the highlight of the match for me. All righty. So now the tournament matches, they do these all in a row, like three B-block matches in a row and three A-block matches in a row. Um, yeah. The scheduled night off was Daisuke Sasaki in Block A. Uh, of course, he's been out since the opening night, so this meant that A-block finally got to have three tournament matches for the first time since night one. Uh, you know, where there would always be a, the scheduled Sasaki match would be skipped uh, due to his injury. And then the B-block night off is Katsada Higuchi, who had a way to make the final if a lot of things went his way in the B-block matches. Unfortunately for him, they didn't. But he did have a way to force, like, a wacky tiebreaker because there's no... So they did this Champion Carnival style this year where they said going in that there would be no tiebreakers. Like, there's no... uh, If this guy beat that guy in the DO, then they move on if they have the same points. This time they were going to do, like, a playoff match. It didn't end up coming into play at all. But uh, that's what they that's what they said this year. So I guess they just said that to say it. I don't really know. Uh, but yeah, match number two, the first B block, the first tournament match, the first B block match. Shuma Katsumata defeats Soma Takao by countout in ten oh five. Shuma went to four points. Soma went. Soma stays at six. He Soma was alive here, so this this eliminated him. Uh, you know, he he could have if he had won this match, he could have. Uh, you know, either forced a tiebreaker or even won the tournament outright if uh, Endo and... No, actually, would have... If Endo had lost and if Akiyama and Ueno had gone to a draw, he would have... And he had won. He would have won the block, but he lost anyway. So uh, I'm yeah. guessing this is the match that you thought sucked because I sure thought this sucked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the one. I mean, I gave it two and a half stars, which... You were way higher than me. <laughs> suck to me, but yeah, I mean, it had... It had our beloved uh, ref bump. It had interference. It had Legos, which is fine. Uh, it had more interference by uh, Shimatani, who I mentioned being good in the opener a little while ago. They fought to the back, you know, through the curtain. Uh, it had uh, Soma getting taped up, which eventually led to a countout. But yeah, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna good. tell you why I hate this. First of all, yeah, the stuff before the bullshit started, I thought was really dull. Like, Soma mm-hmm. was, like, beating Shuma around ringside. He put him in a chin lock. It was like, okay. Uh, you know, the ref bump was bad. You know, the ref yeah. bump was kind of funny, actually, because Soma, like, kicked Shuma... Or, or Shuma kicked Sh- Soma into the into the ref uh, off a roll-up. The ref was actually fine at first, 
And then Soma kicked him in even harder, actually bump him. That was kind of funny. But, uh, you know, the Lego stuff, whatever. But the fucking finish. So Shimatani yeah. <laughs> gets involved. He accidentally hit Soma to count the aluminum tin in full view of the referee who does nothing. So again, I understand DET could be kind of jokey or whatever, but this is the fucking DO. Like, there shouldn't be... There should be some consistency here. And it, why did they even bother bumping him earlier if Soma getting hit with this fucking thing was not going to be a DQ or anything? Doesn't make any sense. Even less sense, Soma, who I just mentioned, is alive to win his block, decides to follow Shimatani to the back, repeatedly hitting him with a fucking tin, with the tin can because he's so mad he accidentally hit him. Again... You could say, haha, it's funny. It makes no sense. Soma Takao just beat the fucking KOD champion in the last match. He was the first guy to finally beat the unbeatable champion. He's one point behind Endo. If he wins this match, he could win the entire block. And he's out here uh, doing comedy about how he is mad at Shimatani. He's going to chase him up the ramp. I'm like, what the fuck? I was like, what the fuck is this? That was that was the part that killed me. If this was a match where Soma Takao had two points too, or even four points or whatever, he was out of the tournament, fine. I, I guess I would get it then. But it's like, sir, you can win the block, and you're chasing this man up the ramp because you're mad he hit him. He hit you with an aluminum 10. doesn't make any sense. So that really pissed me off. And then, you know, we see that they, Shuma follows them. They go backstage. Uh, Shuma runs back to the ring. We see Soma's been all taped up in his body and ankles. It's like, haha, you know, the Toriano thing. He tries to hop his way back to the ring, but Shuma takes one of these tins from inside the ring, tosses it, and hits him in the head. The ref is like, okay, 18, 19, 20. Like, why is that a, why is that a count out? So you're allowed to hit, throw a fucking tin at your opponent's head to incapacitate them outside of the ring, and the ref will just be like, Let me, I just gotta keep counting. Can't do anything else here. I was like, this fucking sucked. So, uh, if, if it's no DQ, don't waste my time with the ref bump. And also, why are there, why are there countouts? And if it's not no DQ, I have no idea how any of that stuff made sense. So, I didn't even like the match that much before the silliness started. And I didn't find any of that remotely entertaining. I thought it was, like, actively stupid. So, I went one and three quarters. Worst match of the tournament. Bad. <laughs> Bad match. That is my opinion on that match. Uh, <laughs> I'm not expecting you to defend any of it, but I just really... no, like I just I just subtracted both of my stars that I gave it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking. It just makes no sense. It's like if he was not alive in the tournament, I would have given it a little more leeway. But like, sir, you can win the block. Why are you chasing your fucking comedy sidekick to the back, hitting him with a ten? It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Anyway. So the thankfully that's the only thing on the show that sucks. So yeah, the good news is that the rest of the matches were all really good. <laughs> uh, up next, Junakiyama defeats Yuki Ureno with the front neck lock at eleven fifty one. This is the only match of the three where both guys are still alive. Uh, they both had six points, so June goes up to eight points here, takes the lead in the block, and now is looking for Endo to get upset in the next match, which of course happened. So he ends up winning the block. Uh, Akiyama just beats the crap out of Ureno at the start of this. Really won't let him get anything going. We get another count out tease uh, for Ueno, but the moment he beats the count, uh, June runs over and nails him with an aw- that awesome stuff power driver he's been doing for a two count. So that was great. Uh, Ueno finally comes back with a big delayed suplex, 
Looks very impressive given the size difference. And he goes for a, the big spinning planche out of the floor, but ultimately just seems to graze Akiyama more than anything, but he's still bumped for it, so it's fine. Uh, but Akiyama gets back into control fairly, fairly quickly when they get in the ring. Uh, he gets that front guillotine, the front neck lock locked in. He lets go of it and rolls him over, only gets a two count. Uh, he gets an exploder. Ueno suddenly no-sells. Hits the very similar Blizzard suplex uh, with a bridge for a close two count. Blizzard always has the the, the bridge, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. always. It's a, They call it Blizzard suplex hold, which yeah. in Japanese means, you know, with the pin. Yeah. Quote-unquote Japanese, still English, but yeah. Yeah. He misses a moonsault, the, the, the double jump one he does, then eats a running knee from June for another close two count. Uh, Akiyama has another exploder for another close near fall, and then follows up with the wrist clutch exploder. That, sh- that would have been it, but he pulls Ueno up at two and decides to put him in the front neck lock again for the win instead, which I love it when June's like sadistic side is coming out there. But uh, there, that's, uh, that, that, this was like awesome. I mean, just an awesome sprint of a match. Akama was great as the big bully, just like he has been throughout. And Ueno had a great tournament too. He did a great job as the underdog, came up just a little short. Uh, I went four stars flat on this. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, I went three and a half. I liked it a lot. Um, one little, you know, small part of it that I really enjoyed was early on in the match, Akiyama gets Ueno in just like a front face lock, I guess you would call it. Not necessarily a submission, but just a hold. And, you know, Ueno doesn't want, doesn't want any part of that, you know, position, um, you know, quickly getting to the ropes. I think that actually happened twice before he did the front neck lock. Um, so that was very well set up throughout. The other thing that was interesting to me was just kind of the size dynamic because you don't really think of Akiyama as, you know, a giant, but compared to Ueno, he more or less is. Um, but it worked out really well. A good contrast to both um, or like a callback to his match with Takeshita with the finish, obviously, and also a contrast to his match with Higuchi, which was, you know, one sided completely, um, but the finish was on the other end. So, um, yeah, good match and a good, you know, change of gears to get us back into these league matches after the first one. Uh, then we have the... Oh, so that, like I said, that eliminated Higuchi. So June now has eight points because Higuchi was at seven. So Higuchi was stuck at that seven with this being his by night. So yeah, the next match was, like I said, very simple. If Endo had won it, he would go to the final. If he lost, Akiyama goes to the final. And if there's a draw, we would have needed an Akiyama-Endo tiebreaker as we would have both been at eight points. So the final B-block match, Makoto Oishi defeats Tetsuya Endo with the Fuji, Fujiyama knee lock in 1926. Uh, I didn't that didn't realize it was that long. Wow. Uh, so Makoto goes to four points and Endo ends at seven. So Akiyama does win the block. Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, so the thing that stood out to me here was that, you know, Oishi and Akiyama are in the same uh, stable, right? So Oishi is kind of like fighting for his leader's uh, spot in the finals here. So, you know, when they added Oishi to, to what's now called Junmetsu, um, I had second thoughts about it. I didn't see him as the right fit. But, you know, if this was the match that they were planning to do, uh, by all means, I think it was an excellent decision because I love this match. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I think you. I think you might have had it higher than me then, if you said you loved it. So I guess we'll talk about I, that. I gave. I gave it four stars. Okay. Uh, so Endo spends the early portion of this working over uh, Oishi. He like drives knees into his ribs and such. Uh, I thought Oishi's comeback was not that exciting. He does go into a chin lock, goes on for a little bit. 
we do get some nice. Uh, we do get our first big excitement to me with the big space flying tiger drop from Endo, and then things do pick up a lot after that with them going back and forth. Uh, Endo eventually gets more of a solid advantage. He gets that cool running drop kick from one side of the apron to the other, uh, and then hits a Canadian destroyer for a two count. He lifts him up for the torture rack bomb, but gets countered by Oishi into a crucifix bomb. That looked awesome. And then he follows up with a second crucifix bomb, which might look even better than the first one. Uh, that gets a close near fall. And then uh, Oishi eventually gets him in the knee lock, and Endo submits. Uh, the finish took it down a little bit for me, because it felt... This felt super anticlimactic to me, because, like, Endo is doing all this Endo unbeatable champion stuff. He won the King of DET. He didn't even lose a match in this tournament until the last one against Soma, where Soma had to practically kill him to beat him. So for this this lower card guy to just kind of get this knee lock and submit him... Uh, oh, okay, I, lose, I lost you again, I think. Wow, this is going uh, it's going well here recording. But I, you can still hear me, folks, so I'll keep going. Uh, but yeah, for this lower card guy, to just kind of get him in this knee lock and submit him, I don't know. It's just, uh, I would have much preferred a flash pin finish, I think. It's, that's kind of what I was expecting to happen. And I really did not like that uh, Endo just beat him with, or Endo just tapped with his leg lock. Like, I would have preferred a flash pin or something. Uh, so it just felt too easy to me for Oishi, given their respective levels. And, you know, the endo unbeatable champion stuff they've been doing. But yeah, still a good match by the end. I went three and a half. Uh, but, you know, that's where, that's where I'm at. Yeah, to me, the legwork was awesome. Uh, I really like that. Um, you know, this was actually so good to me that I, it made me want to go back and look at Oishi's like, career to see where he came from, which I've never been compelled to do before. I just kind of saw him as like, a, a you know, an undercard guy that was there in DDT. Um I guess to me, like, you could, I guess to me the story was that he was fighting for Akiyama the whole time. And as a person who really wants to see Akiyama and Takeshita have another match, I bought into that. Like, I was more invested in Oishi fighting for Akiyama than anything I was, than I, than I was invested for anything in the New Japan show. Um, just because I really want to see that rematch. Uh, but yeah, his aggression, the focused leg attack, uh, a totally different type of match for Endo, too. Um, I really enjoyed this, and definitely the best Oishi match I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I have seen some way better Oishi matches. So, but really? I think I, I think I watched the AT more than you do. Yeah, because he he had a title challenge against Endo that was really incredible. Um, I think he had one against Takashita too that was really good. So, well, now I want to watch those. I, <laughs> I would have no I would have no interest in watching. I mean, I'm sure I've seen them when they happened. Um, but yeah, I'll I mean, go back and check. Let out. me see if I can find it. It take me two seconds. Cause I, I know he had a 2018 title match against Endo. Was it 2018? Really? Was that long ago? Uh, let me see. Hold on. So I can find the matches I'm talking about. Cage match. KOD. Uh, should be not. Yeah. So the 20, it was 2019. So it was okay. Mac, Max Bump 2019, April 28, 2019. That match I remember being incredible. So that's definitely the one I'm thinking of. So there you go. I'll check it out. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so not that this was bad or anything, but I just you know went three and a half on it. But yeah, uh, the next match we go to A block now. Uh, so Akito defeats Yukio Sakaguchi by TKO with a modified figure four leg lock in eight fifty six. Uh, that moves Akito up to seven points, and that eliminates Sakaguchi, who was at six points. The A block was really it was the exact same setup as the B block, where the six point guys were alive. Uh, there was one person with seven points, who was Hiroshima. So he could have. He was ahead of the, you know, ahead of everybody. But uh, the six point people all could have won. The only difference is you didn't have Higuchi uh, sitting out, who was also alive. So 
Uh, but yeah, other than that, like if Sakaguchi had won, he would have been leading the block, but he lost here. And Akito was already eliminated, even though he had five points and now had seven because there was no way to for nobody to get higher than seven. Because mm. yeah, Takashita was fighting Hiroshima. Uh, Takashita has six and Hiroshima has seven. So even a draw there would have put Hiroshima at eight. So. But a similar dynamic here where Akito is kind of fighting for Takeshita's, you know, chance at making the finals. Exactly, yeah. And this starts with a lot of mat wrestling. Probably not surprising if you know either guy. Um, you know, the best sequence to me, there was just one where, like, Yukio nearly got a triangle. Akito turned it into a key lock, then nearly got a roll-up pin out of it. But then Yukio turned it back into a triangle. That was that was my favorite part of the match, probably. Um, but then Akito ends up getting the figure four on, and the ref stops it. Uh, and I thought there was a damn good bit of mat wrestling. I went three and a half on this. Uh, easily Akito's best match at the end of what was a very disappointing tournament for him. Uh, so, you know, he just just was not a good tournament for him at all, honestly. But Yeah, I had it at three and a quarter. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, it felt really short to me. Do you have the time on it? 8.56. Yeah, so, you know... Really good, really focused leg attack, kind of similar to the Oishi Endo match, which was also a focused leg attack. Um, but I enjoyed it. What I enjoyed it a lot, and it kind of set. It was this is right after intermission, so um, it kind of set the the tone for the next two matches as well. Uh, up next, Mao defeats Chris Brooks with an inside cradle in fourteen twenty eight. Uh, Brooks was also at six points, so he also gets eliminated by losing here, and Mao gets up to six points. Um, it was all Brooks here for the early portion of the match. Um, you know, the he like went after Mao's taped arm and then just choked him in the corner. Uh, Mao finally came back with a real nice dive to the floor after the five-minute mark, followed by a diving knee drop back in the ring, basement dropkick for a two-count. Uh, we, we had a big back-and-forth exchange. My problem with this match wasn't really anything they tried to do. I thought like a lot of it just looked a little awkward or a little off. Like, not that it was bad, but, like, you know, here, okay, here's one one example. So Mao takes this double-arm top rope suplex. He basically lands, like, on his on all fours, or kind of, and no-sells it. It just looked weird. It didn't look cool to me. It just looked very, mm-hmm. very strange. And then he hits a spin kick and his cross-arm powerbomb. Uh, he weirdly can't cover right away. And, again, I guess it's supposed to be that he's selling his arm or something but he just kind of stumbles around like he's drunk so it doesn't really look good or like make i don't know just doesn't look good so by the time he finally does cover a course only gets a two count so uh yeah to me i think the thing that sets this match apart from the other ones or you know you know, distinguishes this match from the other ones is that this one didn't really have any clear psychology to me yeah whereas the other ones all had a pretty clear focus um, this one just kind of felt like guys doing moves to me. Yeah. But it was cool. <laughs> uh, Mao does a backflip to avoid a Brooks kick, comes back with a super kick, and then a Michinoku driver two for another two count. Uh, Brooks does, goes for the pain, praying mantis bomb. Mao lands on his feet, gets his flipping driver thing, back gets another two count. Brooks comes back with a nice counter knee in midair to Mao as he was going for a springboard, catches him with a tombstone powder for another two count. Brooks goes for the Praying Mantis Bomb. Mal rolls him out of nowhere for the pin. Uh, this one, like I said, felt a little sloppy to me in places. It, it just kind of reminded me of a U.S. indie match, which I definitely don't mean as a compliment. Like, they both right. kicked, they both kicked out of everything under the sun, and they just do a cradle finish, 
Which to me, that is like a U.S. indie trope where I feel like I've been to a million shows where guys kick out of every goddamn move you've ever invented and then one rolls up the other one for the pen because they don't want to actually job to each other or whatever. But I don't know. I went three stars. I, I can't go lower than that. It was fine. But yeah. it didn't do much for me, but really. So. Yeah, I went three and a quarter here, but it's a very different three and a quarter than the previous one. This one is just like because they work so hard and they did a lot of cool shit, but it wasn't really meaningful. Yeah. Uh, it was my my main critique. Uh, I thought the the cradle at the end of the match looked really cool, but that's kind of just the whole vibe here. It's everything. Well, not everything, but a lot of it looked cool, but didn't really have any you know meaning to it. To yeah. me, yeah. Like I just I don't know. Just like if you're gonna do the WrestleMania kickouts, you need to, you need to have a finish to me. It can't be a cradle. Yeah. That's my other good take. Uh, the main event in the A block, Konosuke Takashita defeats Hiroshima with the German suplex in 2039. Uh, Takashita goes up to eight points and wins the block. Hiroshima finishes with seven. Uh, this was fucking awesome. <laughs> this was a really awesome match. Hiroshima works over Takashita's arm a bit in the early going. Not as much as I expected, honestly, but he does, he does work it over. He eventually gets the big Fujiwara armbar, but Takashita escapes. Uh, and that leads into a big elbow exchange. And then a really unique spot where Hiroshima sort of misses an enzigiri, which lets Takashita use his own momentum to slam his leg down. Sort of similar to a dragon screw, but not really. It, it looks really cool. It's like set up to Takashita getting a figure four, but Hiroshima does end up escaping. Uh, Hiroshima then just starts beating the shit out of Takashita with kicks. These really stiff ones, including uh, a high kick right to the side of the head that looked great. He gets a reverse Rana. He pauses, he pauses to sell a leg from the previous leg work from Takashita's damage. But then he starts posing like he's going to go for Samato, but still with his back turned. Takashita recovers and gets his own reverse Rana. That was, that was pretty awesome. Followed by a great lariat where he like almost falls down as he lands. Uh, and that leads to a double knockout tease. And they do both recover. Uh, Takashita eventually does eat the Samato from Arashima, but he grabs the bottom rope to force the break. Takashita comes back with a powerbomb and then a running knee, but Hiroshima also gets a rope break. Uh, Hiroshima then suddenly takes Takashita down out of nowhere and goes for a Kimura, trying to take advantage of the bad arm. I honestly thought this was going to be it, uh, either either tap out or ref stoppage. But Takashita somehow manages to power him all the way up, slams him out of it. That looked impressive. And then Hiroshima goes for the bad arm again, uh, almost like from in front of him. But Takashita instead suddenly gets the German out of that position out of nowhere, which was awesome. And that's the pin. The finish was, like, truly awesome. Just out of nowhere, yeah. like, like a great counter. Yeah, the to me, the arm work in this match was really good. Um, I think you undersold it a little bit. I think that it played perfectly into the, the finish. Um, and kind of similar even to uh, the Super Juniors match. Like, this was... Uh, this was desperation for Takeshita. Like he knew, like you mentioned, that if he didn't uh, get the pin here, that he was going to have to give up. Um, so yeah, I think I thought this was worked uh, really well, really tight, uh, a lot tighter than their previous matches. I feel like their previous matches are kind of more epic, whereas this one was like very focused and um, you know concise. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I gave it three and three quarter stars. I went four and a quarter. So I, I liked it better than you did, I guess. But yeah. I really thought all this ta- Takashita arm injury stuff was a way for them to get out of him winning the block. And they were doing the Hiroshima versus Akiyama, like, legend versus legend final. But instead, yeah. it was just set up for the big Takashita comeback. So he wins the block and will now face Akiyama. 
yeah, I'm super excited for that match. Yeah, I mean, their match at Ultimate Party was awesome, so. But yeah, this match fucking ruled. Easy the best match of the tournament at four and a quarter. Uh, so overall, this was the best match of the tournament since night one. I don't know if it was better than night one overall. They, it's close. This had the best match. Night one was probably more consistently good. But this was still a damn good show. Only one bad match. A lot of good stuff. Two flat-out awesome matches, I thought. Uh, and now we get ready for Akiyama versus Takashita on 12-27, I believe, in the finals. So we see. Does Takashita get his win back from Ultimate Party faster than I expected? Or is Akiyama going to win and go for a rematch for Endo, who beat him in the KOD? Or in the, in the DO, I mean. So... I have to wait and say, what, what's your yeah? Do you to any- me, the to me the all out Junretsu feud is like the best thing in DDT this year. Yeah, um, and it's really, you know, you could really just call it Akiyama and Takeshita feud because they're really just the other people are just there to support this rematch basically. Um, so yeah, like I said, I'm super looking forward to this one. Do you have any prediction? I think Takeshita will win this one. Okay, I think Akiyama, but I guess we'll have to wait and say. Because uh, I think he'll have to. I think it'll take like one more try for Takashita to beat him. Uh, the final DO standings in the A block: uh, Takashita wins with four and two, eight points. Then you have Hiroshima and Akito, both three, two, and one for seven points. Then a big three-way tie: Yuki Sakaguchi, Chris Brooks, and Mao, all three and three for six points. And then of course Daisuke Sasaki, who had his one win and then had to forfeit his last five matches due to injury, only two points. B block: Junagama wins the block with eight points. Tetsuya Endo and Katsada Higuchi tie for second at 3-2-1 for 7 points. I believe Endo beat Higuchi, so I think he would have the tie break. Unless they had the draw against each other, I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> Soma Takao and Yuki Ueno, both 6 points, 3-3. Three and three. and then Shuma, Katsumata, and Makoto Oishi, both 4 points, 2-4. and four. Uh, Last thing to wrap up the DO here with the block over, I have my average star ratings and my top 10 match list. So I'm just going to go through that really quickly here. First, the top 10 match list. Uh, 10th place, I basically had to pick, I had like a whole bunch of three and a half star matches and I had room for only one of them on this list. So I went with Akito versus Yuki Sakaguchi from this show, night seven, uh, December 12th, three and a half, uh, really good mat wrestling. I just decided to pick this one. I don't know. Really didn't think about it that much because I was in a rush, but you know, there might've been a three and a half star match. I like better. That's, that's the one I went with. Uh, the next three matches were all three and three quarters. Ninth place, Hiroshima versus Chris Brooks from night one, November 22nd. Uh, Daisuke Sasaki, his, obviously his only appearance against Kanosuke Takashida, also night one, November 22nd. And seventh place, Soma Takao against Tetsuya Endo from night six, uh, December 6th, three, also three and three quarters. Five through two, or six through two, all four stars flat. Uh, sixth place, Tetsuya Endo versus Junakiyama from night one, four stars a little disappointing, maybe, for what I expected from those two, but they still had an awesome match. Uh, fifth place, Takashita versus Sakaguchi from night six. Just loved loved that match with Sakaguchi, like, targeting the arm throughout, and he's, like, a perfect guy for that, so it really worked. Fourth place, Junakiyama versus Yuki Ueno from this show, night seven. Third place, Tetsuya Endo versus Yuki Ueno from night three, uh, November 29th. Just an awesome champion versus champion match. Second place, Yuki Ueno versus Katsusada Higuchi. From night one, November 22nd, four stars. And the first place match, uh, Takashita versus Hiroshima, night seven, December 12th, four and a quarter. There you go. Yeah, we were talking before. I, I said that I had one that stood out to me, and, you know, it was your second match, the Ueno versus Higuchi match. I love that match. Um, obviously, I didn't watch every single show like you did, but that one, 
uh, stood out to me. And then the other one, which you didn't mention, I think quickly deserves some mentioning just because it was so unique, is the Higuchi versus Akiyama match. Right. It was only, what do you think about that one? I think I gave it like three and a half. It was only like four minutes, but it was yeah. it was definitely worth watching. So, yeah, I, get, I went into detail on that on whatever show I covered on Night 6. I don't know if it was Free Feed or Patreon at this point, but... Uh, let me give my average star ratings now. For the A block, I left off Daisuke Sasaki because uh, he would obviously, you know, he had one match, so it's not really fair to the rest of the guys. But yeah, so sixth place, last place, Akito, 2.55. A weird tournament for him. I usually love him, but other than the last night, he, he had a bad tournament. I just, you know, I've talked a lot about it throughout the tournament. I don't know what was his problem, but he just wasn't. didn't seem like he tried that hard, didn't seem like he was into it. Just not a good tournament for him. Uh, fifth place, Chris Brooks at 3.05. He was all right. He just didn't click with me on, on some nights and just wasn't uh, anything special. Uh, very similar, fourth place for Mao at 3.10. He was he was fine, you know, decent, but again, there were some nights he didn't click with me. And the top three, uh, Kanosuke Takashita at 3.42. Very much Feaster fan for me. He had some matches I loved, had some matches I really didn't like at all. Uh, there was the one he did, I think, with... I think with Akito that I really hated that was like, you know, really ridiculously long and just was not good at all. Let me see. I have my spreadsheet in front of me. I can tell you. Uh, yes, it was the, it was the Akito match. I gave it two stars. I hated that match. So that, that's my, gets my, uh, very much non-recommendation. But yeah, other than that, I thought he had a pretty good tournament and, you know, the arm injury thing. Uh, you know, I mean, the Brooks match I didn't love either. I went three stars on that. But everything else was good to great. So, you know, Mal three and a half. Sakaguchi four, Hiroshima four and a quarter, Sasaki three and three quarters. So four good matches, two bad ones. That was his tournament. That's why he ends up in third. Uh, second place, Yukio Sakaguchi, 3.45. Opposite of Takashita, uh, you know, just really consistent throughout. And first place, Hiroshima, 3.5. So definitely the highlight of the A block. Just very good tournament for Hiroshima as usual. The B block, uh, seventh place, Soma Takao, 2.88. He just he got dragged down at the end by that this match I hated with him and uh, uh you know Shuma and he finished below Shuma which I don't even really know how that happened I guess Shuma was like just good enough outside of that yeah he had a lot of three star stuff and I didn't, the other match I didn't like it to Kaz was against Higuchi, which I don't I don't even remember that match but I gave it two and a quarter uh but yeah I mean he was you know the only match I was I really liked was the Endo match the rest of his stuff was just kind of there a lot of three and a quarter. Uh, one three star and then sixth place shuma katsumata 3.04 again you know j- didn't love a lot of his stuff uh didn't love the uh, you know a, c- a couple three actually well other than that soma match i gave him three stars once three and a quarter twice three and a half twice so i guess he was fine but uh he doesn't stick out as a guy i really like that much uh tied for fourth kasada higuchi and makoto oishi both 3.33 uh, both they both these guys had good tournaments. Uh, you know, not a lot to say about them. They just good solid tournaments with some really high end stuff for Gucci especially. And then a three way tie for first: Tetsuya Endo, Yuki Ueno, and Jun Akiyama, all with a three point five eight. So these were the best wrestlers in the tournament. Uh, you know, Endo I gave four stars twice. Gucci I went four once, but then he was just really solid throughout. Uh, or well, Gucci was three point three three, but yeah, really solid throughout. Otherwise. Um, Ueno, I went four stars three times, so he just had a great tournament from the high-end stuff, but then, like, you know, the, his other three matches were, like, a little lower, like, three, three and a quarter, and Akiyama was just, like, you know, four stars twice, a couple three and a halves, a couple three and a quarters, just very good stuff from him throughout, so, 
Uh, these are definitely the three best wrestlers in the tournament, Endo, Akiyama, and Yuki Ueno. So there you go. That's your deal. I wonder what you think about uh, Ueno. Like, obviously, most of his year was focused on tag wrestling. But, you know, now towards the end, he's getting a run, a title run. Is this the best he's ever been in singles right now? I think so. I think he's really coming to his own now. So I think so, too. And I've always, like, he's always been a guy that I've liked and wanted to be good. And, you know, uh, seems like a a guy who could be a, a cornerstone for the company. But I think now he's finally putting it all together. Like, we're seeing it happen right now. Yeah, I totally agree. So, he's definitely uh, one of these guys that's really going to help DDT going forward if he can keep at this level, you know. Another, like, young gun. So, he he has to still be very young. Let me just look this up real quick because I'm curious. I'd be stunned if he was, like, over 26. Uh, yeah, I was going to say he's probably right around 25. Let's see. Yuki Oeno. It does not have a wiki entry, so i got to check Cage Man. Hey, he's exactly 25. There you go. So that makes total sense. But uh, there, there you go. That's my DL wrap-up. We will have the finals over on the Patreon on December 27th. So that is the Akiyama Takashita final. But I would. this was not a great tournament by any stretch. I thought it was the weakest of the three tournaments. I would put it below World Tag League. But, uh, you know, it was not as good as last year's for sure. But it wasn't, you know, I, I can't call it bad, I guess. There was enough good stuff that it was, I don't know. Like if I was going to rate out of 10, it'd be like a five and a half or something. Like slightly above average. There were there were too many nights that just didn't have a ton of fun stuff. Uh, but you know, the it bookended a good show, so that that counts for something. But uh, you know, the stuff in between was not always great. So there you go. Uh, any final do thoughts for you? Wrap it up. I mean, I think for me, when Takeshita lost to Akiyama it was basically for me that they were going to have this match now. Um, so I think, you know, it, you know, maybe it didn't deliver every night, but I feel like it definitely delivered in its goal, which is getting us back to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't really, I guess the booking was really good to me. Uh, mm-hmm. Whether or not every single match delivered is a question for sure. Or yeah, I think you broke up again. Jojo, I can. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. <laughs> I'm not gonna add this. I, I have four edits already, so I'm not gonna. People can deal with this if they made it this far. Did I cut out? <laughs> you, did did cut, you did cut. You did cut. You did cut out at the very end. I heard the last thing I heard. I guess you said was uh, booking or something like the booking was really. Yeah, good. I was saying just basically that, and that one was my fault, by the way, because the phone like went back <laughs> to a lock screen. But um, you know, I guess. The, the while the tournament didn't deliver high end matches every night, I feel like they it was used well to tell the overall story for the company, which is getting us back to Takeshita versus Akiyama, which I feel like is basically the best story of the year this year in DDT. So uh, it serves its purpose to me. All righty, all right. So we can wrap it up here. Next week on Omakase, uh, we will be kicking off our year in review. Now we're starting this later than in previous years, so there's only going to be four episodes this time. Uh, two of them will be here on the free feed. Two of them will be on the Patreon. Uh, on the free feed next week, you're going to get miscellaneous Puro. So this will be any Puro out of the New Japan DET and Joshi, which all get their own episodes. So we'll do Noah, All Japan, uh, Big Japan, anything else people want to talk about. Uh, so that'll be me and Paul Vosch and John Hernandez and Gerard, all from VOW, of course. So all three will be on with me next week to talk 
all these different PR companies, their year interview 2020. That's our next episode. The other free episode will be the New Japan episode. Um, I think I can, I can confirm both the Super Jcast guys. Uh, Joel and Damon have both confirmed they're going to do it. Uh, might be two more people. That's all I'm going to say. We'll see. Uh, it could be two other prominent hosts have said they will try to do it as well. So uh, we'll see if that happens, I guess. But that'll be that will be two weeks from now on the free feed. And on the Patreon, we'll have a Joshi year interview with uh, myself. The same two as last year. Taylor from Jumping Bomb Audio and Luke uh, from Apricot Pod. So two people who know their Joshi very well. Uh, and then also DDT with you. <laughs> and uh, also Jamie from Dramatic DDT supposedly is going to come on. So we have to work out a, a, a taping schedule still. But that will and be... I promise to work out my uh, my setup here for not <laughs> so many problems on the next one. Yes, I hope so. So that'll be on the Patreon. Uh, myself, you, and Jamie will re- be doing the DDT year interview. I still have to work out a taping schedule. But yes, that'll be exclusive to the Patreon along with the Joshi one. So if you want all our year interview content, you have to subscribe. Uh, it's $5 at patreon.com slash wrestlingomakase. We dropped WWE this year. We dropped the, I think we did an AWROH combo episode last year. Um, I, I just, I don't want to talk about AW, I guess, when it comes down to for that one. I mean, I've watched the pay-per-views and a little of the TV. I just, you know, I people probably who listen to this know that, like, I'm not the biggest AW fan. And, like, if you if you talk about how you don't like AW, like, on the internet right now, people get very mad. <laughs> so, like, either you'll get, like, unfollowers or people will fucking talk shit or, like, get very angry and be atting you. And it's just a pain in the ass. So, like, I don't know. The AW fan base at this point, you got to chill. That's my message to you. Like, I'm not doing that episode this year because I just don't want to deal with you guys. So that's what it comes down to. Like, some of the AW fans on Twitter are just... And, like, other places, like, the the VOW Discord stuff are, like, fucking insane. And they don't deal well with uh, crit- criticism. So I, I really don't want to uh, <laughs> deal with that. So that's why we're not doing an AW episode this year. I think most people know what my AW thoughts are. But, uh, you know, it's not my favorite promotion. It's not like it was bad or anything. It's just, you know, just don't don't really care. I'm sure the Everything Elite people will do some kind of every, some year interview thing or something. So go listen to that. They're great. Uh, WWE, I just didn't watch it all this year. I mean, I stopped watching it in, like, February. You know, like, the last pay-per-view I watched all the way through was that Elimination Chamber one. So we're not doing a WWE year interview because, you know, it would be me bringing on guests and being like, huh, uh, okay. Like, I'd have nothing to add. Like, at least in previous years, I watched, like, most of the pay-per-views. I just, I can't watch, I just really can't watch the empty arena stuff with them. I don't, I don't know. Like, the Thunderdome is, I guess this is my WWE year interview right now, every time I try to draw the Thunderdome, especially, it's so aggressively terrible that I can't watch it. I mean, it's like, between the screens and all the lights and the fucking, the fake crowd noise, that's the worst fake crowd noise probably in wrestling history. It's just, it's so actively, uh, like, you know, it just turns me, it's such a turnoff that I just, I, I sincerely can't watch it, so... You know, I haven't watched it this year. I can't. I can't tell you if it's good or bad. I bet it was bad, but I can't tell you for, for sure either way. So we're not doing a WWE year, year interview this year. If, uh, if they ever go back to shows in front of normal buildings uh, in twenty twenty one, maybe we'll be able to do it at the end of next year. But that's the reason why there's no WWE or AEW year interview episodes this year. But we are doing New Japan, DDT, 
uh, Joshi and Miscellaneous Puro. So those will be the four episodes. Uh, Jojo, anything you want to plug before you wrap this up here? Nothing to plug for me. I just say, you know, you know, thanks for, for having me on. And obviously you deserve a break now from having to watch <laughs> uh, so much wrestling. Uh, I think I think it's time for you to get outside a little bit. Fresh air. Um, I go on my balcony. I go on my balcony. <laughs> I go, I, I'm, this, it's honestly the first time I've been really happy to have two balconies in this apartment, which is pretty rare for New York. And you know, this is why this is like the upside of living uh, in a, a neighborhood in the Bronx called Frog's Neck, where like. Uh, you know, we're, we're very close from public, we're very far from public transit and stuff. So they have to do something to make you want to live out here. But yeah, I always thought the trade-off is bad because I never used my balconies, but like I have these long ass commutes. But now during COVID, it's like, oh, this trade-off is great now because I don't have a commute anymore, but I'm home all the time. So I go out my balcony all the time. So it's finally, I'm finally getting the most out of living here. Well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> But there you go. I'm definitely going to watch less wrestling this week. I already did this past week and definitely this week too, so. Good. But yeah. Uh, do you want to, you don't want to plug your Twitter or anything? Uh, my Twitter is JoJo underscores runs. Okay. Uh, you can follow me there. Sometimes I, I tweet about wrestling. Sometimes I tweet about Miami Marlins baseball, which I always seem to mention. Uh, but yeah, it's a good time. There you go. Uh, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Russell Omakase. Wrestling would not fit. We will see you next week for the miscellaneous PR episode. The year in review, 2020 kicks off. Uh, what a year it was! <laughs> thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, thank you for listening, and I don't know why I said that twice. See you next time.